listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Hello. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the GGTMC. Um, I'm not going to warn everybody right now. There's a lot of feedback this week, so be prepared. We, we tried. We, we tried to get through it quick, but <laughs> yeah, we we can't we can't do that quickly. It's not fair to the listeners, so it is what it is. Um, but we got a lot of films to cover, a lot of feedback to go over. We got a lot of stuff. This is an epic show. I just know it. So uh, be prepared for it. And hey, it's free. So it is what it is. Um, okay, not to sound like a negative Nancy there, but uh, we are back, and we're. Co- I'm gonna let you uh, just uh, tell the listeners what we're gonna be covering this week. Uh, let you uh, go ahead and go over with those films. What the, what that trilogy's called and everything. I didn't really do the research on all that. I just got all three films and watched them. Yes, uh, I don't know that they're specifically called anything. I think they're actually part of a quadrant. Well, I don't even know that it's so much a trilogy, but Blue Underground put them out as mm-hmm. part of the Alan Clark collection. Right. Uh, these were all films uh, that. He did for various British television stations, mm-hmm. uh, primarily BBC, and then I think he had a falling out with them over the censorship of Scum. Um, so he did uh, the three films we're going to cover, uh, as well as a fourth film, which is Elephant, which was uh, remade by Gus Van Sant, uh, which we know the head is a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, essentially, they are not linked in any way other than kind of, I think, his essays on... Um, uh, young males and violence in uh, the young males in uh, England uh, through the 80s. Um, yeah. Dis- late 70s disgruntled youth. Yes, uh, <laughs> marginalized. Whatever you want to say, it's a very interesting work um, you're going to hear us talk about. Before we get into that, I want to do this now since it's as fitting as anything. These epi- this episode, of course, is programmed by Brian, our good friend from Northern Ireland. Uh was in response to some charity work he did at Christmas, which he would have done anyway, but... Uh, uh, he just sent along some fantastic pictures of some pumpkins and some other things that he did, uh, not for Christmas, for Halloween, of course. But anyway, uh, he also asked us to judge the um, 48 hour Salt Lake City, uh, the Salt Lake City variation or version of the 48 hour film festival, mm-hmm. which I know we were both thrilled to direct. There was a, a great horror uh, f- um, film that uh, wasn't, uh, unfortunately, wasn't. Um, didn't make the cut from a timing standpoint. Right, I right. Was, they kind of fell within. The, they didn't fall within the rules of the project. Yeah, I think they they handed in a little bit late. The submission was a little bit late, mm-hmm. um, so we didn't get a chance, uh, sadly, to um, have them as part of the uh, the package. But it was a great short. I believe it was called a short. It's actually called a short horror film. I believe. I hope I'm not. Um, <laughs> not selling them short no pun intended by saying that but it is a shame because they would have been in the running uh, right across the board um, horror sadly is not done very well usually um, but uh, these guys did a great job it was shot really well they had a, a great use of locations um, so yeah, yeah I, thought, no, short, I, th- I thought it was really good it was impressive it was impressive for what the amount of time they had and everything it was very impressive yeah, it definitely was. So kudos to them again. Uh, I look forward to seeing what, what a lot of these filmmakers do uh, going forward here. So mm-hmm. um, 
onwards to, I guess, what we've been watching. Uh, Sammy, what have you been watching? All right, I'll go first today. That sounds good. I like this. I like this. All right. Uh, <clears throat> oh, clear throat. Uh, let's see. What have I been watching this week? I watched um, uh, Godzilla 2000. <laughs> nice. This is truth. I did watch this. Uh, it was a free download on the PlayStation Network, and uh, you know, I was like, hey, it's free. I've never seen Godzilla 2000. Not the world's biggest Godzilla fan, so I figured I'd watch it. It's okay, you know. It's it's a Godzilla movie. That's uh, you know, that is what it is. Um, moving on, I watched uh, Batman Under the Red Hood. This is another one of those uh, DC animated things. Um, this is good. Uh, it was okay. Uh, you know, I watch these things all the time. Big comic book fan, so I watch this stuff all the time. So not surprising that I'm going to watch every one of them that come out. Seems like. Um, Let's see. I watched uh, the Runaways, which was the uh, story of you know the the group, the Runaways. Uh, I liked it. It was okay. Uh, maybe a six, six and a half, maybe. Uh, it didn't go deep enough, but I had a great campy performance from Michael Shannon. Uh, some somewhere straddling the line between like Frankenfurter from uh, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show and I don't know what else. But he he is out of control, and I didn't expect him to be that out of control in the film. He's usually pretty reserved in the movies he's in, but <laughs> he's he's way out of control here. But the movie's okay, not great. I watched uh, my Winnipeg. Nice. Yeah, this is uh, the guy Madden film. This is a fantastic movie. It's on Netflix. Netflix to watch for you uh, art cinema buffs out there, art you know people who just want to try something different. Check out my Winnipeg. It's beautiful. It looks great. It's black and white. Just it's an art film. I'll warn you now, but it's a fantastic art film. Very good. Very well done. I think I told you I'd give it like a 9 out of 10. Yeah, I also would rank it very high 8, uh, maybe as high as a 9. Fantastic film uh, from a great Canadian filmmaker. Yes. And also watched Inception. So I saw that. So uh, Less said about that, the better for me. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> less said about that one, the better for me. The only reason why I'm not going to say a whole lot about it is I know you'll say a lot about it. So there's no really no, I mean, there's nothing, there's, nothing I can, there's nothing I can add to it. <laughs> I just say I, I, I'm following the minority, but I still th- I still think the film's good. I think it's a good film. Just don't think it's a great film. All right, what is, that is it. That's all. It's like six six films plus the three we watched. So that's it. That's all I did. I got eight plus uh, the three we watched. Uh, well, actually, one's a half one. I'm still going to talk about it now, though. Uh, first one I watched was one I'd been meaning to see for a few years. I first heard about it on Twitch. It's I believe a New Zealand film called Flick. It's a bit of a rockabilly film about um, a guy who gets killed. He's into like rockabilly music and stuff. He gets killed by some bullies. His car drowns in the drink. Uh, and he gets revived when he hears some rockabilly tunes. And he's a zombie seeking revenge. And Faye Dunaway plays a one-armed detective from Memphis trying to track him down. Um, nice. Not, it's not bad. This guy's got a really strong visual style. It was fun for a lower-budget film. This guy got the bang for his buck. Not a great film, but good. The emotional payoff, I don't think, was there. Um, I watched, I, I don't even know if I should say a shitty Al Adamson's film, because I think it, just saying an Al Adamson <laughs> film kind of yeah, sums it up. Purpose. <laughs> uh, Satan Sadist, which is very fucking dull. It's got Russ Tamblyn, who a lot of people dig, and blah, <laughs> well, blah, blah. I, I don't think anybody digs him as far as him being a good actor. I think they dig him because he's in a lot of really bad movies. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I don't know. It's uh, it wasn't very good. I prefer I spit on your corpse with the great Georgina Spelvin. That's the one I really like from Al Adamson. 
Um, I watched The Losers, which I told you I liked. I liked it more than you did, but I think it's a little bit try-hard in spots in terms yeah. of manufactured chemistry and mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. But I like the cast, and I think I told you Jeffrey Dean Morgan I think is fantastic, and I'd love to see him do more stuff because he's not that chiseled Ken doll that you know we don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Rider on the Rain, which is a French film uh, with Charles Bronson, um, where he plays a, an American military man that is, is um, investigating a murder that a woman committed. I got to be honest, a lot of people love this film and say it's kind of the sleeper in Bronson's catalog. I found it very much like a slightly above average film. Mm-hmm. The, the lead in it just bothered me. It had the chick just fucking bothered me sometimes. <laughs> man. Um, Inception, I loved. Uh, I think it's it's great to see a refreshing, original, ballsy, audacious, big budget film. There's a concept. Let's not have dumbed down Pablum in the summer. Let's do something that takes some chances and is original. Uh, fantastic cast. Um, it reminded me, uh, especially the ending, not so much specifically, but it, it reminded me of Blade Runner in terms of you questioning some things. Um, sorry, you were going to say something? I heard the mouth open. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just uh, clicking my teeth together. No, I, don't have, I don't have anything. I, I've said so much on Facebook and everywhere else. I really don't have anything to add. <laughs> yes, but I loved it. I think everybody knows how I feel about it at this point. Best movie I've seen this year so far. I don't think it's going to stay there, though, but I really did dig it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, The Swinging Barmaids, which I told you I fucking hated. I thought I was going to like it. It's (laughs) William Smith. It's uh, got Ilsa herself. Lots of boobies. Um, Fucking boring as shit, man. People call this an exploitation classic. No, it sucks. Uh, William Smith's made a lot of bad movies, so... (laughs) He has, but a lot of them are fun. Um, Yeah, that's true. It wasn't very fun. Um, then I continued my Fellini education. I watched Satyricon, which I'm not making this up. A lot of people said this is when <laughs> Fellini discovered LSD, so it's very evident in this film. It's got George Eastman playing a minotaur, which is <laughs> worth the price of admission alone. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> it, which uh, Aaron pointed us out, good friend of the show, Aaron. Uh, it's really fascinating. I could see how Jodo might have been influenced by some of this stuff. And it's interesting to see a lot of the stuff that Fellini does and to do what I'm doing and watch a lot of films by filmmakers together to see themes and visual things uh, that they, they go back to over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one I watched this week by Fellini was Yves Etiloni, uh, which I thought was really, really good. Uh, it's more of a straightforward film than I think Fellini. I think it was just the start of when he got into a lot of his kind of surreal, dreamy kind of stuff that he did. Um, but still a really, really good film with some great performances about small town life uh, in Italy, which he kind of talks, you know, he harkens back to an Amarcord. And again, you see a lot of the same things, the the, the beachfront uh, stuff scene. He always has, you know, um, BBWs, which is big, beautiful women showing their breasts. He always has a lot of little people in his films. There's usually mentally challenged characters. You know, you get uh, men who refuse to grow up and are trying to find a sense of identity. It's just if, really good stuff. If Sigmund Freud was around to watch Fellini, he would be he would be his favorite filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, I really love Fellini, man. I mean, um, it's been interesting me doing this. Next week, I think I'm going to do La Strada, which Mashuga recommended, and uh, either The White Sheik or there's one other one I was going to get into. I can't remember. So, to be continued. That's nice, it. Nice, nice. That was a good chunk of films. Good stuff in there. Uh, okay, well that's everything. So we are. Did we even say the titles of the films we're covering? I don't even we know. We did not. That's <laughs> well, awesome. But, you know, they're by Alan Clark, and they're somewhat of a kind of a trilogy. But Youth Gone Wild. Maybe I'll just call the episode Youth Gone Wild, or something. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, maybe I'll just Made in 
made in firm scum Britain or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for all of our British listeners, I'd love to hear the that. Scummy, how about this? The scummy firm is made in Britain. <laughs> something. I'll fuck up with something. But yeah, we're covering scum, uh, made in Britain, and the firm. So uh, we'll just go. And I think they came out in order. So I think it's scum, made in Britain, and the firm, right? That's the order I did them in. I did them in chronological order. I did them in chronological order as well. So we'll do scum first. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about some scum. Uh, (laughs) All right. right, We'll be back right after this. Are you still looking for that special someone? Have other dating websites let you down? Hi, I'm Craig Fritz Rualdo, host of LoveFinder.com, telling you to listen to ShowShow at ShowShow.Podomatic.com. Too many websites all in one sentence? You betcha. But ShowShow is a podcast about movies for people like you who don't know what love is. Listen to ShowShow every week at ShowShow.Podomatic.com or search ShowShow, all one word, in the iTunes store. Those sweet little sounds there. <laughs> I was wondering when you're going to play Harvey Mason, man. I sent that to you like two or three times. I'm like, man, does this guy have a thing against getting down or what? No, I don't. Like, I don't remember ever having that one, but I guess maybe I maybe I deleted it or something. Who knows? But either way, if, if we played it this week, <laughs> yes, we did. And I have to say, you're either alien or an android if you do not want to dance when you hear that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are back, and we're going to cover Scum first from Alan Clark. Do you want to? Uh, you know. Uh, I think I'll take the lead on this one. So you want a synopsis? Yeah, I would love to. Let me bring up my synopsis as Sammy and the listeners catch me. What I do is I'm setting you up here because the one film out of all three of these films that I had trouble taking notes on was Made in Britain. So, oh, uh, I took a lot of notes on Made in Britain. Good, because I'm setting it up for I'll take the lead on this. You take the lead on Made in Britain, and then we'll finish it off with... You sly devil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... So, Scum, uh, this is the hard and shocking story of life in a British borstal for young offenders. <laughs> Luckily, the sounds regime like, has changed. Sounds like a TV Peter film. North movie or something. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, but it really, it's about a, a borstal for those... Uh, I wasn't familiar with the term until I started watching British films. It's a, a youth detention center, a very hard youth detention center. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Winston, of course, uh, is very young in this. Yes. As well as some other people that are probably familiar uh, with more British TV and, and film work. Um, of course, this is the first one in the Alan Clark trilogy. It should be noted that both the this was banned by the BBC or heavily censored. I can't remember which one. Uh, so in response, Clark put out a feature-length film that was a remake of this film with all the same people in it. Yeah. Um, we watched the TV one, which was fine by me. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, let's see what you thought about it. All right. So we uh, get going on this, and the first thing right off the bat that I notice is, man, Ray Winstone looks very fucking young. <laughs> It's I mean, so insane. He looks totally different almost. It's almost like you see it's like you see like it's like the Ray Winstone now ate the old Ray Winstone. And it's like this the, this young one looks like he should be in like a Harry Potter movie or something. 
<laughs> yeah, he looks so young and he's so thin and, you know, his voice hasn't changed yet. You know, nowadays he's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> back then he was like, yes, sir. You know, it's very yeah. weird. <laughs> Calling, sir. <laughs> yeah. Four, three, two, one. Or <laughs> but there's uh, some great quotes in here. Of course, you've heard. Uh, well, you haven't heard yet, but there's some uh, somebody in the feedback. A lot of talk of daddies. And there's a bad guy character in there. I think his name's Pongo. Pongo, which you know he's a big motherfucker. Anytime there's a like an Ongo, Mongo, Pongo, anything with Ongo in it means the person's probably ridiculously massive. Yes, yes, and he is kind of a big, beefy kind of young kid, and and uh, he's you know he's the daddy, which which would be I guess kind of comparable to uh, how come I'm not seeing Pongo in the names on the uh, maybe that was his nickname. I know the guy that played Pongo was actually John Blundell, uh, who who. Pongo was his nickname. Banks was his. Um, okay, there he is. His uh, real last name. Ah, uh, yes, that is him. Nice. I think I've seen that guy in something else, but I never noticed him before because he's so young in here. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, he's kind of like the daddy, and the daddy is kind of basically, you know, it's it's kind of like the uh, yeah, it's kind of like the uh, the Clancy Brown role and uh, Clancy Brown and Tweety role in uh, Bad Boys, <laughs> <laughs> which I have to think. Having seen this now, that this was an influence on that. Yeah, I would have to say so. I would have to say so. I mean, it establishes prison rank very quickly, uh, or at least reformatory rank in this case, uh, very quickly, and it sets it itself up really well. There's not a lot of exposition to have to explain stuff. I like that one guard says, uh, you know, uh, some kid, I think it's the young black kid that they keep picking on in the film. Angel. Yeah. He says, uh, you know, your number, that's all you are. Or something like that to him because he can't remember his number. I think he says it to him. I think so. He might have said it to Carlin, but I, I, can't, I can't remember exactly. But I'm thinking that's what it is. But, I mean, I like that line, your number, that's all you are. Because in, in there, that's all they are anymore. They're just a number. You know, they might have a little bit more power and stuff, but they're just a number. Um, some of the framing in the film, there's some framing of the shots and stuff. I don't know if you got this vibe or not, man, but some of the framing was very Kubrickian for a TV, yeah, for a TV movie. Well, I think because a lot of the stuff that, that Clark does, we can see it, it doesn't feel stylish. It's just immaculately done. Like he frames things well. There's, I think another reason you say that is because there's a lot of corridors and hallways, which we know Kubrick enjoys yes. uh, shooting in a very slow kind of slow, slowly panning, kind of almost like a very slow security camera. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the, the, the one shot that really reminded me of Kubrick was uh – Whenever they go in to see the governor, and uh, they got the two security guards staring at the uh, character at the character while they're talking to him, <laughs> and and that's a great thing because really what you see in this film a lot, and we'll talk about I'm sure a few times is there's no women ex with the exception of one in this film. It's about very very problematic young boys, uh, 14, 15, 16, uh, and the men that run this uh, Borstal are hard men like they will try to break these fucking boys down and the point you're talking about is where they're in dealing with the governor and the two guard not guards whatever you want to call we'll just say guards for an easy description mm -hmm. they're literally probably like they could probably smell each other's breath like they're yeah. just trying to intimidate these boys and break them down they're about six inches from them while they're getting lashed by the governor of the borstal yeah yeah it's very, very interesting stuff now they one of my favorite characters in this film is uh, the character of archer Absolutely. I loved Archer in the film. And, you know, that guy was in, uh, I don't know if you remember, he was in, you might not, because I don't know if you ever finished it, but he was in Hot Fuzz. He played a character named Martin Blower <laughs> in Hot Fuzz, but I quite enjoyed him in that. <laughs> yeah, I got to finish it, man. Uh, I got the four-disc uh, for like 
nine bucks. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get the you can get some of those things really cheap. That's like when you know, I told you I got that three disc uh, Wind Talkers for five dollars. I was like, look, I don't even like the movie, but it's a three disc special edition. I gotta have it. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite characters in the film, and uh, he 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 looks like a. Uh, I guess the best way to describe him, he kind of looks like a uh, like a. Uh, a younger Eric Idol in some ways, uh, the way his hair is and stuff, and and uh, you know maybe like a like a member of the Kinks almost, <laughs> but uh, he he's got this great philosophy. You know, he's he's a, of course he's a vegetarian. Yeah, he's going through some phases. He's a young kid and he's going through some changes. You know, he wants to be a vegetarian. I think he, I think he wants to study Judaism. I think at one point. Talk, starts talking about um, that. He talks about actually converting to Muslim. Uh, yeah, that's to, right. To being Muslim. He is, I think, the, the exception to the rule in here in that he is a very intellectual, uh, philosophical character, um, whereas most of them uh, are aggressive young men with sort of blind rage and not very much intellect, which is highlighted by the fact that a lot of them are illiterate. Right. Um, he looked a lot to me like if um, a field mouse and Tony Iommi had a love child. <laughs> Yeah, he did have a bit of a Tony Iommi to him. <laughs> that didn't that didn't quite see enough sunlight. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of what he reminded me of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I liked him a lot in the film, and he has a lot of the one of my favorite moments are uh, with him in the film. And not that not taking anything away from Ray Winstone because it's obvious pretty quick that Ray Winstone uh, was going to go on to be a pretty popular actor. He's more of a character actor, I would say. Winstone is. In some ways, I mean, he's really good. he's got a very everyman quality about him, or I guess in this film, an every boy quality about him. You know what the thing with Winston is, Sammy? It, he's you, you used to watch wrestling. He's not quite good enough to be the heavyweight champ, but he's too good to be the intercontinental champ. I mean, yeah. he, he's too good to be just a character actor, but a lot of times people don't cast him as the lead in films, which is a shame because he has a magnetism that is, is on display even early on here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's a, he's a great actor. It's just I think he's... He's a character actor, like you say. He's a character actor, and 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 he's in that he's in that really weird in between spot right now, and uh, I think it's where he's going to stay, honestly, because I don't really know if he'll ever have a breakout. I hope he does, but I don't know if he ever will have a break. At least not in American cinema. I don't know if he will. No, he's older now too. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I did like him in Edge of Darkness a lot, though. Yeah, he was probably my favorite part of it. Yeah, and this uh, for something recent, and I've liked him in a lot of other stuff too. Uh, but that brings up a good point to talk about, Mr. Winstone, when it comes to socks and billiard balls. And you're talking about the influence of bad boys. Yes. You know, RC Cola and pillowcases. And we, here we got socks and beard. But now, the question has to be asked, which would you rather be hit with? <laughs> oh, probably the can. Well, the can might have a little bit more give to it, as long as you're hit with the body of the can and not the top or bottom. Ooh, ooh. I tell you what, I'm going to go with the cans too, with the the mere hope that the cans are going to bust. Yeah, or that they're going to dent. There's a little more give to cans than snooker balls, man. <laughs> oh man, those and the sound effect that they put in this thing, fantastic, man. I was like, ooh, <laughs> the sounds are great. It's almost like a um, a potato that's been rinsed hitting a tiled floor. Mm-hmm. That's yes. like the punches and the impact in this. It's uh, fantastic. It was rough. I can, I got to say this. There's a scene in the hallway between Archer and, and when Archer confesses about something with uh, Carlin, which is Ray Winstow's character. Um, it almost sounds like his name was Colin because the way they say it, but it's Carlin. But he uh, Ray Winstone's smoking a cigarette, and Ray Winstone has become a much better smoker as he's gotten older. Because <laughs> he looks like a 12-year-old who just found his dad's cigarettes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was sitting there laughing, and at one point he decides to blow it out of his nose. And here's how I know he wasn't really a smoker. He blows it out of his nose to make him look like he's a smoker, but he doesn't talk while he's doing it. So, you know, he makes sure he, he has space to blow that out of his nose, and then he talks and spends his dialogue. <laughs> 
Oh yeah. You know, he's he's not like a real smoker like a, like Robert De Niro back in the day. I'd see that guy inhale and no smoke ever came out. <laughs> it's like Jesus. <laughs> Let it out, buddy. But uh yeah, I mean, you could tell he got better as a smoker and of course, you know, that might go for his voice too because his voice definitely changed. Um I really like the scene between Archer and the the prison kind of babysitter, one of the uh, kind of upper management guys where they're sitting there talking and debating on ideologies and and thoughts and stuff. And that's really a fantastic scene in two ways. One, it kind of shows the kind of oppressive kind of behavior of the supervisors and what they think of these kids. But it also kind of shows that Archer's not like all these other kids. It, like you were talking about, it shows that, you know, it shows this guy. It's kind of an eye-opening experience, not only for Archer, but it's actually an eye-opening experience for the supervisor as well. That, you know, these, these kids aren't all just a bunch of goons. You know, I mean, of course there's some of them that are, but... You know, it's it's like anything. You know, sometimes good kids do the wrong thing, and uh, you know they, they end up in a situation like this. And I get the feeling from Archer that he might have, you know, he might have been a good kid, but he made some bad choices. And it gets back hey. to that thing we always talk about with GGTMC, which is choice. Go ahead. Yes. No, no, no. You're right. I think you're absolutely right. And that, that scene is fantastic because it's great because it shows the psychology of what I think is the most complex character in the film, and it also shows us the side that we don't otherwise see for the most part, which is the shades of frustration and, uh, and anger and almost programming that a lot of the men that work there have. Um, because I don't think there's, this is the one film out of the two that deal with juveniles and the, the men who are assigned to take care of them. This of the two films shows the men in the, in the film in a very unsympathetic light, uh, to the point of they're rotten to the fucking core um, not not cartoonishly so, but there's not really much redeeming. But this guy, you can tell the old guy here when when um, when some points are brought up um, by Archer's character, you can tell that he's he, this this old guy's nice, but he's kind of been burned by the system here a little bit that he works in, and he gets embarrassed to the point of um, punishing Archer for pointing out some inadequacies of the system that he works in. Right, right, right. That, that really is a fantastic scene. I mean, it had me hypnotized from this moment it started to the moment. And it was well shot, and uh, the acting is really, really good, and it felt really, really great. And I really only got one more note, and that's really just to say, you know, it wouldn't be a GGTMC uh, material if there wasn't a rape in the greenhouse. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, the rape the rape in the greenhouse was fucking brutal. And <laughs> yeah. I'm not la- again. I'm not laughing because of rape. I'm laughing because it never fails, man. Here we are. We watch these movies, and without fail, I end up watching a film where somebody's screaming in pain because they're impaled by a meat stick. Yeah, it's it's awful. It, it is. I think that the it precedes the darkest moment of the film, but it's it's a tough, tough moment because. It's bad in that it's it's a child essentially. Listen, some listen. I, I fall to to get into maybe a more political statement. Mm-hmm. I believe in firm discipline for a lot of these fucking punk kids uh, that that act up. Believe me, I'd love to see them get their asses whipped into shape. However, I think a lot of times it's not a black and white issue, and I think you have to. It, and I think that's something that 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 Clark really illustrates here is how complex of an issue these things are, and. That moment is is awful because it's a, it involves boys, but the worst thing about it, I think, is we see how despicable one of the men is in that he's almost watching it, watching it not out of perversion, I think, but almost out of uh, 
he's enjoying seeing the the brutality. Just these the boys almost treat each other like animals and yeah, and just defile each other. I don't think it was a perversion thing. And and then you get kind of the the sad automated response from the boy after it happens when mm-hmm. whenever a boy gets beat up or in this case raped or whatever the case is, the what happened and the the boy will always say I fell. Yeah. And it, it's that thing, you know, they're not going to talk because they're going to get it even worse if they talk, right? No one likes a rat, but... Right, uh, right. They, it, it's, it's, it's a terrible situation, but it, it, it is true. I mean, uh, it, it, he makes a lot of comments, Clark does, he makes a lot of comments about is it, you know, do the kids create this, this behavior? Does the political situation in the country create this behavior? You know, I mean, obviously this is very inspired by, you know, like, well, I think they called it Thatcher's Youth or something like that. They called them. I can't remember what they called them. Yeah, uh, Thatcher's Youth or something like that. I read it somewhere, but uh, you know, the political decisions sometimes can create, you know, a whole generation of misfits. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, whether we want to admit that or not, it does happen. And sometimes it's down to the parents, but then sometimes the parents, you know, as we'll talk about when we get to the firm, I mean, they can be just as bad as the children. So you know, who knows? Oh yeah. But that's all my notes on uh, scum. Okay. Um, all right. So I got a fair bit of notes. I'll try to get through them rather quickly. Um, one thing that we see that is very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Evident is in the first two films, and even the third film that we watch is um, Clark is a very direct, no frills filmmaker um like i said he's technically very proficient um but he's more about steak than sizzle mm-hmm. and yeah. and i think that that you know again respectfully to our british audience i think that's a bit of a british thing in some regards um this film feels very british it's you know um in some ways it's it's uh, i think in his case it was intentionally unstylish to the point that it was almost like a documentary style feature it it, it wasn't meant to be glamorous or you know, uh, anything with too much frills. Um, he did at least concede the fact that that all the prison guards, uh, for lack of a better description, wore skinny... T- oh, no, no, not the bo- the guards. That all the boys, it was standard issue to wear skinny ties, which is awesome. Yes. <laughs> so I, I would be remiss if not mentioning that. Um, we see right away, you know, these men smacking around these boys and, and as they say in Australia, handing out a few Christmas handshakes. Yes. <laughs> which I've never understood. That thing never cut on in the States, just squeezing another man's nuts for angry reasons. It just, for some reason, it's well, I mean, on. Let's be honest. I mean, it's not really the, you know, I don't, I don't care how mad I get at somebody. I'm not going to grab their package and just sit there and squeeze it. No, man, that's, that leaves too much of a lingering feeling, man. For that matter, uh, it leaves their hands free. I don't care how hard you grab those. If my hands are free, I'm going to go ape shit on you. And you're putting yourself in a low enough position that I can knee you or kick you in the face. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, anybody, don't know. anybody out there with any experience in grabbing each other's nuts, call us. <laughs> 206-666-5307. If you've ever had or given a Christmas handshake, let us know. You know, the one that always comes to mind when I think of that is, uh, have you ever seen Stir Crazy, the Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder film? No. All right. Well, in that or fil- maybe I have. I don't know. In that film, there's a moment where a little guy has a big guy, a big cowboy. He has him. Uh, he has him dead to rights because he's grabbing a pair of. He's grabbing. He's he's got a hold of a pair of pliers. Ooh. And he gets a hold of his package. That's the plumber's handshake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he just keeps squeezing and twisting, and I'm sitting there thinking, "Ooh, that would hurt so bad, man." <laughs> Jeez, Louise! We'll leave those little teeth marks there on the uh, on the flesh. Yay, yay, yay! 
Um, anyway, back to the scum. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So one of the things we see in this film, even more than the next film, I think, is amongst these boys who clearly come from backgrounds where there's there's not a lot of opportunity. I think lower income homes. I think it's fair to assume there's also uh, very much a strong sense of racism um, in this film. In the next film I'll get to, I don't interpret it as much as racism, as much as anger, but uh, for, for instance, when Angel, the boy, comes in here, the black boy, um, he says, uh, Angel, you're, the, the man says, no, Angel, you're in a single room. Some of the boys here are prejudiced. Mm -hmm. And the way he says it is if to emphasize, you know, you better stick to your own, you're going to fucking end up with an you know, a knife in you or, or something. Right. Um, and I mean, we really see the open racism and it's just unbelievable the contempt that the adult men have for these kids. I mean, even later, I mean, the, the violence against the black daddy, as it were, is completely, while not uh, helped in any way, it, it's it's very obvious that the adults know what's going on and they're, you can almost see them smiling as, as the white guy, the white boy deals with the black boy. Mm -hmm. yep. So just uh, you know that fuck it's just it's insane to see um the film to me really is is i think it was in the height of the the punk rock movement i think it talks this really especially the first two films really about angry youth and kind of get that that sex pistols i mean that whole that whole that that culture that was rising in, in england at the time uh this what it really feels like to me yeah what i like about the trilogy and i'll discuss this again when we get to the last review but it's kind of like the beginning of this behavior and then part two is kind of like the extreme part of that behavior. And then part three is the most interesting part to me because it's it's the refined behavior hidden behind social normalities. Yep. Yep, you're right. And I think that was good when we watched them in this sort of because you see the progression of that kind of, mm -hmm. what do they call them, yabos or just that kind of, you know, hooligan kind of culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, the infamous line, you're nothing, I'm the daddy here, we talked yes. about. And I think I heard that Ray Winston did a pretty cool potato chip, or as they say, crisp commercial, where uh, he wanted to know what people thought, which flavor was the daddy. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. Nice. Um, he throws around the word poofter a lot, which... Yeah, I heard that word a lot. I'm not a poofter. Yeah, I'm not a poofter. But uh, yeah, so he throws that around a lot. Um I really liked that it almost became comedic, I think, in a sense, uh, or absurd, I think was maybe Clark's intent. The warden, I think, for, again, for lack of a better word, the governor's inability to keep his personal beliefs from his conferences with the boys. I mean, he's very much a religious man, an old school man, and when one of the characters is going to get out to get married in the Justice of the Peace, he says, oh, it's a shame it's going to be a public marriage and not under the eyes of God. And you know, he kind of looks down on uh, the one character that we both like a lot, Archer, for for being a vegetarian and requesting plastic shoes. And yeah. and we know Archer knows how to get him going. So he says, "Oh, sir, I'm thinking of converting to Mecca." And uh, the governor's like, "Mecca!" And he just he goes fucking bananas. It's. Uh, I'd be interested to see the other version of this film, not only because it's 21 minutes longer, but also because Archer is played by a different actor. This it would be hard to top this performance. By yeah, I know that's what I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, you know. Would that change my perception of the film? I'm, I'm going to have to check out the theatrical version. Yeah, I think that I will too. Uh, we see a head off one of those old style faucets where the hot is one side, the cold is one side. That's a pretty nasty moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With the old pongo, ping pongo with his head off the faucet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We see kind of the questioning of trust that Archer illustrates to the older gentleman, and it's kind of this vicious circle of the system mm -hmm. that really 
there's not a lot of answers. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, Archer Archer is what every disciplinarian dreads is the yes. the smart the smart convict or the smart uh you know, they can be labeled as smart Alex, I guess, but uh really the truth is is that, you know, he kinda knows what he knows the score. He knows what's going on, and that's what every supervisor I would imagine in that situation would really dread. They, it's much easier to deal with the uh, the kind of black and white of a problem. You know, you got the bad kids, you got the semi bad kids, but the ones that are smart, those are the ones that they have a hard time dealing with. Yeah, but I, they should be lucky that he was a passive thinker. He wasn't one of these guys that's trying to you know make the troops rise up. Yeah, really. Um, the basketball coach in this, or at least I thought it was going to be basketball until we see it's the worst idea for exercise in the history of, of a borstal. Um, He's the one that he, says wet fart. He says wet fart, but he also <laughs> looks like Ed Louder. And he's the one that delivers the great line, no punching in the face, no kicking in the ghoulies. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he says something about it, and he, he's also the one that says the wet fart. Yeah, he's got some yeah, of the best on. lines, man. <laughs> no, you guys got five minutes, but he brings it, man. He, no kicking in the ghoulies. I've never even heard that yeah, term no. before. Have you? Oh, no, not really. I, I, no, no, I haven't. I can't say I have at all. Don't kick me in the ghoulies. Might be, that, an, I, might be an English thing. I don't know. I got to say, you know, as much as maybe some British uh, uh, viewers, viewers, listeners, uh, maybe get tired of that Cockney stuff and the, the slang, I, I always find it infinitely entertaining how mm-hmm. swearing and slang is brought to high art by a lot of Brits. <laughs> yes. And they yes. do it better than anyone. Yes, they do have some great, some great swearing. I love it. <laughs> uh, the film's very dimly lit. It kind of has those sickly yellow drab olive and gray tones it just it's it doesn't have much sunshine that's for it almost sure. looks like it's shot on video before video is even prevalent yeah, i know it's insane um now once the film calms down a bit we get a more more emotional exposure with the boys it, it, it's less about the violence and we kind of see some of them have no visitors they're far away from home some kind of tragic letters. Mm-hmm. We see how lost and scared and how desperately some of these boys are trying not to appear as shattered and broken as they are, which is when the film really punctuated itself emotionally for me and kind of brought it up a notch. Um, so, yeah. Uh, my last note is... I don't actually want to talk about it. The ending to me was incredibly, incredibly sad. It, it, I don't want to say too much more about it, but... Yeah. It really was a strong scene, so I'll I'll kick it over to you. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, my make or break. I'm going to go with that scene with Archer and the supervisor. It's really the scene I like the most. I thought really thought it was going to be Winstone, but the thing is, I gave my MVT to Winstone as opposed to uh, I think his name's uh, what's his name here. Let me make sure I give this guy the proper credit because I want everybody David David Threlfall. Yeah, Threlfall, and uh, he's actually evidently he does a lot of TV work. He's done 82 episodes or something. Of uh, some show called Shameless. I don't know. Never heard of it. Born in Manchester. Ah, how about that? <laughs> know what I mean? Anyway, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I have to give him a bit of credit. And I almost went with him for MVT, but I gave him the make or break and I gave Winston the MVT because Winston really is a powerhouse. He starts out really meek in this film and everything else, but then once he becomes the daddy, he, uh, he really does kind of suck it all in stuff. My only complaint about the film is as far as it's structured. It's really weird how Winstone on the back end of the film just kind of dips out of existence for a while. That's okay, though. I mean, yeah. we have a capable person carrying it from that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm just saying it's weird the way Clark decided to structure that. It seems like Winstone yeah. was his, uh, his main focus, and then all of a sudden he just disappears. But, yeah. you know, it's just kind of a weird thing. But I give the film an 8 out of 10. I think it's a very 
solid, very entertaining film. I watched it in one set. There's only 77 minutes long, this TV version. And uh, I'm going to check out the theatrical version, but I, I, evidently you don't really have to. I know one of the user reviews here on IMDb says good, but the theatrical movie is better. I don't know. I don't know. I got to check it out. I got to be compare. But that's yeah. my thoughts on uh, Scum. Okay. Um, my uh, I kind of went opposite way of you. Make or break. Uh, I went with the last third of the film, and I went with the last third because I think it provides a lot of humanity in the film, and like I said, a lot of sadness beyond kind of the young rage and coiled anger of the first two thirds. Um, the thing I love about Carlin, which is the Ray Winston character, is he's never an anti-hero. He, he, at first, they're kind of setting him up that way, but then we see that really he's this isn't about redemption or him realizing anything. He was trying to get what was his, which was to be the daddy, and it, it's all done for selfish reasons, as boys would do in those cases. They're you know they're going to try to muscle their way in to get what they want. Um, so. I love that, that there's no answers, which I think we find is, is a common theme amongst Clark's films. There's no mm. real answers here, yeah. uh, which I really liked. MVT, I went with Threlfall, man. David, Ar- or David Archer. David <laughs> Threlfall is Archer, I think, nice, admit, nice. Admits, amidst all the, the dress-up posturing of the boys. We see a clear-eyed philosophical character that you know, had a lot to say, and uh, I just I really dug him, man. I thought he was great. Uh, yeah, it's a good great choice. Film. Good choice. Uh, my score for the film is a little bit lower than yours. It's a seven point five out of ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, rock solid film. I mean, this is a as, 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 this is made for TV. I mean, it's as good as anything that's uh, you know that's out there. Well, TV so. in, TV in Europe's a little different than TV in the states. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about TV in Canada, but I think well, you get most of the same stuff we oh, do. Oh so. man, but our, our homegrown TV is dog shit. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> It's funny, you know, I hear uh, some of the English podcasts I listen to, though, they'll talk about the English shows, and they'll say they suck, and then I watch them, I'm like, oh, this is fantastic, what are they talking about? No, I know. And then they watch some of our shows, and they're like, oh, it's amazing, and I'm like, oh, God, it's garbage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess no, it's just perspective, you know, what you're used to, and what your culture's used to, I guess. Yeah, well, okay. Exactly. Well, that sounds good, man. Uh, Scum, that is our review Scum. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to do back-to-backs. We're going to do Made in Britain and The Firm back-to-back, so... We'll be back right after this. Hi, I'm Coffin John of the V-Cinema webcast. And I'm Josh of BuriedCellulite.net. We're from the V-Cinema podcast, a podcast dedicated to Asian, cult, and genre cinema. We cover all genres from Shaw Brothers and Roman porno to heroic bloodshed and contemporary South Korean cinema. You can find us at vcinema.buriedcelluloid.net or in the iTunes store under V-Cinema. That website again is vcinema.buriedcelluloid.net. Across the room Through a sea of drunken lovers gently swaying Oh yeah, that's what they sing about us when we walk into a room, I think. <laughs> a sea of drunken lovers checking us out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, before we go into this, Sammy, sorry, just two things I meant to mention. Happy birthday to the Indonesian action god Peter O'Brien. Yes. Everybody go to Facebook and wish him a happy birthday <laughs> if they're yes, friends with him. <laughs> yeah, please do. Uh, and secondly, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know this. Do you know there was a male porn star named Arnold Schwarzenpecker? I am familiar with Mr. Schwarzenpecker. 
Although I have, although I have to admit, no, I haven't watched any gay porn, but I have to, I have to believe that. I thought I could have swore that he would. Oh, he does straight porn. He does straight porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. That I have seen some of his work. I have seen him in action. He uh, apparently he's known for the volume of his ejaculations. Nice. I, lo- I love I love that our these porn stars nowadays have to sell themselves like professional wrestlers, and <laughs> they they all have to have a gimmick nowadays. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. The only reason I knew that is I wanted to find out more about the woman behind Ava Divine, and and she's uh, she worked on a few. I guess she got nominated for an O five AVN award for best oral sex scene, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was in the scene, and I just. <laughs> Of course, I couldn't pass up that name looking into it. So there you guys go. And during the breaks, this is what Large William does. Yes. <laughs> he does his AVN research. <laughs> well, you got to, you know, you, you got to get in that pool every year. You got to know who's going to win best. <laughs> I don't even want to. That's DP scene. Never mind. Let's get off this. This is, I'm sounding much more piggy. It sounds to me like you're getting off on this. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, All right, let's so, jump into some more Clarky. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so our next film is uh, Made in Britain. You know, i got to ask something real quick, though. That break, I've always wondered during that V-Cinema uh, av- advertisement there, or advertisement, as they say in some areas, uh, does Josh say Roman porno? Yeah, it's a Japanese style of film. Okay, okay, okay. Just want to make sure I got that right. Do I know if yeah. I... I wonder if I've seen any Roman porno. I'm sure you have seen some. I just didn't Nikatsu, know. I think Nikatsu put it a Roman porno collection. Um, just didn't know it was called Roman porno, probably. Yeah, no, it's 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 Japanese though. There's no, there's nothing Roman about it. You have because really, like a lot of the Pinku films are considered Roman porno, Roman porno, <laughs> Roman porno. <laughs> a pornucopia of yes. uh, good times. So, uh, what's Ava Divine up to today? No, no anyway. Uh, Anyway, let's get back on point here. Uh, so we're going to cover another film by Alan Clark. This is called Made in Britain from 1982. And uh, this one stars Tim Roth. This is Tim Roth's first film. Actually, the first film we covered was Ray Winstone's first film. And this is Tim Roth's first film. Um, I'll give you a short and sweet synopsis because I think the synopsis they have goes too far. Uh, Trevor is a 16-year-old, sometimes violent skinhead with no regard for authority. And would rather spend his time stealing cars than sending in the detention center to which he is sent. And that's pretty much as far as I go. I'll go. But I like that the synopsis here says sometimes violence can hit. Uh, I guess that's I guess that's apropos. But I mean, it just seems like he's constantly violent to me. But whatever. Anyway, uh, I didn't take as I had a hard time getting notes for this film. I like this film, but I had a hard time getting notes for it for some reason. So I wanted you to take the lead on this one. You had quite a few notes. So let's uh, let's get into it. Well, we talked. Let's do it. We talked about how young Winston looks and. Tim Roth looks even younger in this. Uh, amazing. He's so like just, skinny and so his face is so drawn and stuff, you know. It's it's amazing. I think it's a testament to the knack Clark has for finding incredible actors mm-hmm. early on and getting incredible performances from them. And I read it that I read that Tim Roth actually it was all an accident that he ended up in this film. Oh wow. That he showed up at a theater where they were doing auditions and they mistaked him they mistaken him for a Somebody that was there for the audition, he just went ahead and walked in anyway. I mean, he was a theater actor, so he just went ahead and walked into the audition anyway, kind of for a laugh, you know? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, they, it worked out, clearly. It did. They've worked out very well for him. Yeah, this film opens up and, and talked about the, the punk rock kind of aesthetic and mm-hmm. sentiment of the first one. This takes it to the next step, next level, and we see Roth's a skinhead. And I love that the film opens up in a very young, very sneering uh, Tim Roth with a shaved head, the swastika right in the middle of, in between his eyebrows, and mm-hmm. 
you get a loud punk music playing, and it cuts in between him being uh, dressed down in the courtroom by the judge and the credits, which are just this black screen, stark black, white font uh, with the loud punk music. It was really great, really right, great right. opening just for the film. Kind of, I really dug that. Um, right away, we see that this film features a much more sympathetic. Um, Male, adult male character. It was his caseworker. Yes. Right. Yeah, so this guy very, works very closely with him. There's some really great scenes between him and Roth. You know, I think when you look at these two films, I think the thing that the Clark has done well now that I really think about them is this further illustrates how there's no easy answers because the first one was taken to the extreme in terms of cruelty towards the boys. This one is taken the other way with almost too much kindness towards the boys. And both have the same end result in that nothing's changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? So I think that's fascinating. Um, in this one, again, we can kind of really start, well, not again, but we really start to see that behind-the-back style that, that Clark's known for because I think that's partially due to the fact that there's not as many tight spaces as there was in Scum. Scum is primarily an interior film, whereas this one, there is a lot of outdoor stuff. and I mean, there's still some indoor stuff, but... Um, yeah, he gets out and about quite a bit, you know, and they, mm -hmm. they follow him around and stuff. And it's just, he, he has this really weird existence of uh, kind of calm and quiet. Then he gets out, everything goes to hell, and then he just comes back. Yeah. Yeah, and I got to say, I referenced this in the last interview or last review we did, but um, I think the thing I find with him is he throws around some racial slurs. He even has a swastika on his forehead, but I have to say I had never – for a moment think that Roth's character is a racist uh, despite what he's done I think this is about an extremely extremely angry young man who is saying things for shock value and playing sort of dress up more than anything and I'll tell you why I think this is based solely on the fact that if he was as racist as he proclaimed himself to be he wouldn't pal around with the black kid in his, in his um, halfway house and he certainly wouldn't share uh like something on the mouth, like they huff gas together. Mm -hmm. He certainly wouldn't um, wouldn't share that with him if, if he was that racist. It's yeah. all done for shock value and out of misguided anger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, say I, w I wouldn't say. I mean, I'm sure there's some skinheads out there that totally believe in their faith or in, in what they believe yeah. in. But you're yeah, right. In Ross' character, you can see that it's. And, and there's a great scene where they talk about, and they, and I'll talk about it a little later about an exposition scene stuff. But you can see kind of confusion on Ross' face. So he's a confused young child. So he's taking the extreme measures of showing off, of of speaking out, of against authority and stuff. And you know, I mean, I don't know about how much more extreme you can get than putting a swastika in the middle of your fucking forehead. Uh, yeah. At this time, and you know, it's 1982. So I mean, this is a, this is a long time ago now. Uh, I don't know. To be honest with you, though, putting a swastika on your forehead still to this day would be a hell of a bold move. Any kind of tattoo on your forehead is a bold move, but a swastika, nonetheless, is still a bold move. It's, but it's also an attention getter more than anything. It's the old Charles. It's a confrontational. It's it's challenging people to mm -hmm. to confront you on it. Mm -hmm. It's a very mm -hmm. confrontational thing. Yes, I mean it's despicable, but his you know it's just it's uh, it's just this bizarre misguided anger. Uh, we see even this pint-sized Roth is extremely charismatic. Yeah, and yeah. talented. Yeah, he's got this look, these looks and stuff, and everything. And I really liked him in this film. I mean, he really is the 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 driving force of this movie, and he really is. I mean, he's the centerpiece of it too. He's 
he's in almost every scene of the film and stuff. But yeah, I mean, obviously he had it right from the get go as far as film oh, goes. Yeah. yeah, he grabs you immediately, and we see early on that unlike um, unlike any character we'd seen in Scum, he's the combination of anger and intelligence. We kind of see it as some quick math. He's he's a sharp character as we see some some of the adults discuss with him. He's not an idiot, but we also see he's the kind of character that he's coiled so tightly that at any moment any perceived slight will be repaid with violence or destruction. Yeah. Or him lashing out in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, like he he just lashes out at the employment office, he throws a fucking brick through the window. It just right away. I mean you know, it's funny because there's right after he has a tirade because he comes home late from going to look for work and they say, sorry, lunch is over. You know, he fucking has a hissy fit and uh, they throw him in this room and the, the, it's shot where the, the camera almost looks in through like the, the rectangular glass of the room. Mm-hmm. And immediately I'm looking behind where he's in the room thinking, OK, what can he break in this room? Like, you know what I mean? Because, you know, he's just going to break something. Like he's just going to mangle something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like a uh, he's like a caged animal. I, yeah. I, like, I like the shots where they look in at him and stuff. Sometimes he has his arms behind his back, but he's always even when the two supervisors are talking about him, he's looking at them. He's eyeballing them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I love the decidedly unglamorous look of his films, and I love the fact again that his films are about again technically proficient, but they're not flashy. In fact. I got, I think, two-thirds of the way through this film before I realized that there had been no music in Scum, virtually nothing in this one, mm-hmm. and only a few pieces of music. One in, one piece of music in the third film, the rest of it was kind of just background. Yeah. So. Or Channing, you know, the, uh, the hooligan Channing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a great scene in this where he, after he's had his hissy fit and he's in the room, one of the head guys at this boarding house comes in and... He gives him this great, great chalkboard speech that is very snappy, yet very firm and recounts all the ways Tim Ross' character has fucked up and how close he is to permanently shutting the door on a future. Yeah, that is a great example of how you do an exposition scene. Oh, just fantastic. The the, the British actor was sharp as attack. The older guy... Uh, you could tell he's, you know, he's done this so many times and he knows what the stakes are here that when these boys don't, he's there to remind them and to prove to them that he's not an idiot. He shows how intelligent he is uh, in that scene. It was just great. But they kept referencing something in that scene that uh, clearly a British term I'm not familiar with, which I can, only, I can gather what it means. And they say touching the dog's ass. I don't know what that means. Does that, does that mean like fucking the dog? Like I don't. I don't know. I was just uh, a little while ago while you were talking. I was just uh, patting on my black Labrador's ass. I don't know. Maybe I've done something naughty. <laughs> um, what's oh? And then he even says to him like, uh, "It's funny." He has this funny quote where he goes, "You could be scrubbing floors, or you're scrubbing floors." He talks about say he fucked up school this night. He goes, "You're scrubbing floors right now, and you could be at home watching West Ham lose." <laughs> And yeah. just, you know, kind of a funny little line. Uh, we it just, I really enjoyed that line. Um, I already talked about how he throws Lana rather than these slurs that I think are more for shock value than anything. You know, not to say he's a good boy. He's not, clearly. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. that scene that we talked about with that, that head guy uh, is followed up by a pretty great three-way conversation with two counselors in Roth where we can see he really had it at a young age. 
Um, and I love that scene because these guys, more the one than the other, tries to play the, the good cop and, and you know, tries to, to get to show them some kindness because that's his that's the, the, the strategy he feels works with a lot of these kids is that they haven't had any, so if you give them something, dangle a carrot, you know, he's gonna let a Tim Ross character drive a demolition car, like a demolition derby. You do the kindness routine, it should melt them and, and they can see the good things in life. Whereas the other people subscribe to that notion of violence or brutality. You know, so that there's a great conversation. And it just it makes me lament at the fact that Tim Roth was really hot in the early nineties after his work with Tarantino and then he kinda just disappeared for about seven or eight years. I, I can't recall if that was marriage or family or he just wanted to take a break. But Well, the weird thing is, though, if you go back and look at his filmography, he didn't really disappear. I mean, he really hasn't disappeared. It's just he did a lot of really small stuff, and, and I guess he disappeared as far as the limelight, but he did a lot of films. I'm sitting there looking through his filmography right now as you say that. I'm sitting there thinking, I haven't seen, I've not even only seen maybe 10% of the stuff he's been in. See, the weird thing is, though, what I mean by that, I'm fine with him doing small films, but this is an actor that I think very clearly, if he had have chose to stay in good high-profile stuff, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. would have been amongst the top ten actors working. Yeah, no, I mean, I can agree with you on that. On that principle, I guarantee I, I do agree with you because he worked with Tarantino. He kind of got going stuff, had a little bit of a piece in Pulp Fiction and stuff. Everybody knows him as you know the honey bunny guy. So I remember his bad guy role in Rob Roy's fantastic. Uh, he's great in that. But then after that, he's in just a real rich, rich stretch of films. And it's like he didn't really pop back up into the public conscious until he did uh, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, which he was good and I thought. He was the best part of Planet of the Apes remake. Yeah. He was the best part. He, he, got, the, he got the memo. Everybody else uh, dropped it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Including the director. <laughs> he was good in The Hulk, too. It's weird. He does... Kind of weird middle brow uh, Hollywood stuff, and then really tiny stuff. Yeah, I mean he's been good in stuff. I mean I liked him in Funny Games. He was good in that. Yeah, but is the character? He was good, but the character certainly wasn't sympathetic. It was more maddening than anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, there was a great just as evidence to how well Clark writes dialogue. There's a lot of great dialogue scenes in all three of these movies. They're really about the dialogue, the meat and potatoes. The the one really kind uh, officer or pro, uh, what's his word I'm looking for, uh, the guy that works at the home, he says to him, he's kind of saying, well, you won't have to nick cars anymore. You'll get them for free. And then you can kind of see that as he says that, he realizes, well, I guess when you nick them, you, they are for free. But <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just kind of that really naturally, natural feeling dialogue that I loved from these movies. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's the thing. I, I wonder if uh, the people they hired there were actors or actual real counselors because they seem to have the counseling thing down to down to science. Yeah, it was really, really good. Um, myself as a grown man now, I can see the kindness and the chances given to Tim Ross' character, and we see that he literally and figuratively pisses them away. Mm. And I, you just can't help but think, like, you want to shake this kid. Like, how do you get through it? I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, it's just, it, you're destined for nothing. It, you, come on, man. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a I shame mean, because it happens all too often. Yeah, some people you just can't ever get through to. And uh, you feel like Trevor is one of those type of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a, an ab absolutely fantastic moment when he gets out and he's wandering around the streets at night and... And he comes across something, uh, a storefront. And the storefront's made to look like the ideal living room with, 
with a family and they're enjoying watching TV together and it's a very communal feel and the prices are stuck on everything and I can see him looking at that and it, he just with this kind of sense of uh, I don't know if it, if it was jealousy, anger, uh, a combination of a lot of different emotions but I thought it was a wonderful moment and a great, great scene in the film with it was a short scene but very powerful. Yeah, no, I like that scene a lot too. It says a lot about where his character is and what you know what may be the issue with Trevor. Well, I think it says a lot about what Clark. You know, I think that the 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 what ails a lot of these kids is the, how far away that is, and I think also what society deems to be uh, ideal. And it says a lot with with very little uh, besides, ironically, some mannequins. Um, so just a wonderfully wonderful moment. The last note I have is I again I just I really admire Clark as an impartial observer. Trevor has no redemption, no moment of clarity, and I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that. Um I just love that. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's that, that that's true. I'm uh you are you those are your notes? Yes. All right. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, right from the, that music at the beginning, you know, it kind of says, you know, that you know, youth have this energy sometimes that society sometimes needs a bit of to kind of shake their system. I'm not saying that what he does is appropriate or even called for. I'm just saying I think sometimes that uh, anarchy to a small extent shakes things up a little bit. And uh, that's a good thing. It's not always a bad thing. Anarchy always is looked upon as a bad thing, but as, or as a punk rock thing or a rebellious thing and stuff. But sometimes rebellion is a good thing. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, a lot of things that, you know, come from rebellion. I mean, America came from rebellion, for Christ's sake. So, I mean, you know, a lot of good things come from, uh, you know, rebelling against something. So, you know, I'm not saying I, I justify his behavior here because I think he's a prick. Uh, but I do, I do think that... Uh, He's got his wires crossed. He wants to rebel against all of society's rules and everything, but he doesn't know how to do it without just being a little immature. Actually, I should say a lot immature. He's cutting off his nose to spite his face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, these 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 are small projects, and I like that. I like that these uh, these films are shot in these like small areas and stuff. This is really, you know, there's not a whole. I mean, this one moves around a lot. I found the uh, the demolition car scene very weird that they even put it in there. They could have just implied it, and it would have been fine. It was odd that it's like they must have just got a hold of a demolition car or something. They're like, we need to work this into the movie somehow. <laughs> oh, I know. Because it just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> I thought, well, someone must have got a hold of a demolition car. Uh, but I, I found it interesting that, uh, you know, it kind of it's kind of common on English culture at the time, you know? I mean, there's no excuses for Ross' behavior, but... Again, it goes back to that Thatcher thing. You know, bad social decisions can breed bad behavior. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of it here. A lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Resentment in uh, Ross' character. I think he feels like he's got this sense of entitlement, like the world owes him something when the world doesn't owe him anything. And he's got to make his own way, but he doesn't want to see that at all. And that comes through in that scene with the chalkboard and everything and, and all this. I love that scene. I thought that was the, a, a fantastic example. If I, if I was teaching a film class, I would show everybody that scene is a great scene to show exposition and character building all in one scene and they use a fucking chalkboard it's like they were teaching people how to do an exposition scene <laughs> yeah amazing. i know it was amazing um and we'll talk about that scene again probably this is one of those scenes the movies where and this we'll really talk about this when we talk about the next film but this is one of those scenes where you know or films i should say i'm starting to slur my words because i'm very tired um that uh, you know, you get this kind of tornado acting I talk about all the time, the whirling dervish 
so to speak, like somebody said in the feedback about Little William. But you you get that in the in spades here because you get the little bit of uh, you know Roth kind of going over the top, and I like that. I like some of this stuff, especially the scene in the tunnel and stuff where he's just lost his mind and stuff. And I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't want to give anything in the film away if anybody wants to pursue it. But I really like that moment uh, and stuff. I, I can't identify with any of the characters in this trilogy. No. Uh, but I think it's okay to not identify. I mean, I mean, if I wanted to identify with every film character, uh, I'd be a pretty boring film watcher. I mean, I'd be watching the most safe stuff out there. Because yeah. I'll be honest with you, I'm not much of a risk taker anymore. <laughs> You know? Me neither. <laughs> it tends to happen when you get married, and then when you have children, it really goes out the window. So, uh, you know, I'm not much of a risk taker anymore, you know. So, I, you know, I, I can't identify with these characters at all, but I found little bits and pieces of things very interesting and could relate to little bits and pieces. And and uh, Ross' kind of temper flare-up where, you know, he just can't get past who he is and what he is. And why he is what he is. I know it sounds all kind of like a bunch of gobbledygook I'm speaking, but if you see the film, you'll see what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it's like he has a cathartic moment where he realizes he's he's going to be this person, and he he's not gonna he doesn't want to be anybody else. He has an opportunity, but he doesn't want to try, which is a real shame. And it kind of leads really to what we end up talking about in the uh, in the next film. So I don't really have a whole lot more to add. That's really all I got to say about uh, Made in Britain. I'll kick it back over to you for some make or breaks. Okay, make or break the chalkboard scene. Fantastic scene. Again, we nice. talked about it enough, I think, but wonderful scene. Uh, MVT, I mean, this one could be telegraphed a mile away. It's, it's of course, Mr. Roth and his little vampire fangs and his <laughs> sneering and snarling. and Yeah. Just, uh, yeah the Tim, know, the so. Tim Roth smile we've all come to know. Yeah. Uh, I'll give this I like this one uh, a lot. Uh, I give it a 7.75 out of 10. Uh, really dug this one, man. I fucking thought it was excellent. This is very weird. Everything you just said is exactly the same on all mine. Oh, wow. My MVT is Roth. <laughs> my maker breaks the exposition scene with a chalkboard, and my score is a 7.75. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. Yeah, no kidding, man. <laughs> all right, so uh, we'll jump into the next uh, the film in the trilogy. The Firm. Well, maybe not the trilogy. So I, we call it a trilogy, but, you know. Um the firm another Alan Clark film so you want to synopsize it and I'll get going on this one let's roll with it gay <laughs> uh, as I get caught with my pants down again uh, the firm you know what I'll summarize it I'll nice. freewheel it I'll be the pistol Pete and freewheel it nice you'll be the um, you'll be the swords and pecker to David Devan <laughs> <laughs> yes That's, indeed that might be called uh, free balling it yes <laughs> Uh, and I click on the firm from 2009, the <laughs> shitty Nick Love remake. Uh, fuck, nice. I can't find it now. You know what? This is a movie about soccer hooliganism. Um, really, is what it amounts to. Basically, I think they yes. West West Ham. Yeah. Uh, it's got, of course, Gary Oldman in it and a bunch of other, I'm sure, familiar faces. And I think even a few familiar faces from the other films. But anyway, um, so I, am I going first on this one too? Then? No, I'll, I'll go first on this one. Okay, gotcha. Uh, let's, okay, uh, let's, let's get into it. All right, so and it should be said. Sorry, 1989 was when this one was made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one's a little later in the uh, cycle here. Actually, one of Clark's last pieces, I think. Are close to it. Anyway, so now we get into the world of uh, football firms, um, hooganism, 
uh, which is a funny word to say, hooliganism. But, uh, yeah, we get into this really weird world that I'm, you know, I've only been familiar with in films. I, I, I still have a hard time believing it exists, but I know it exists. I've seen pictures of it. I've seen situations bust out of control. I've seen news footage. I know it exists. It's got a hell of a Wikipedia page here. It doesn't exist in the States, obviously, because we don't watch much. <laughs> well, actually, here's the uh, United States on here. Let's see what it says here. No. Anyway. Uh, so I don't really know much about this. So I'd be interested in some of our English listeners if they ever had any experience or have experienced any of this kind of hooliganism type behavior. You know what I mean? Uh, I like to I like to do some firsthand accounts of this kind of stuff. We're both sports fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I love uh, European football, but I just cannot understand the fucking idiocy. <laughs> behind who it's just so ridiculous yeah yeah like i've seen you think it's bad in england but i've seen doc documentaries done with uh a guy that a lot of people don't like in england danny dyer mm-hmm. and they go to like serbia and places like that that it's just fucking mental you can't even believe the stuff you're seeing that these guys do it's like it's they don't even care about the football match man they just want to split some skulls it's just ridiculous it's just an excuse to you know get violent and get crazy uh you know i mean uh, one of the uh, kind of parallels I drew when I was thinking about it was, you know, football fans in America, and I mean, I'm talking about American football here. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, traditional football, soccer, so to speak. Um, you know, American football fans are there. It's, it's a kind of a good natured ugliness. No, mm. is that, does that make sense to you? I think you might know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's no, a, I do. It's a ribbing, but it's all in good fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really see fights break out and things like that. Most people like to rib each other and cook some ribs or some hot dogs, some bratwurst over the grill, and you know maybe get a little drunk and stuff, and you know maybe watch a Schwarzenegger movie. But that, that's a, <laughs> that's about where the uh, lines, you know, they stop right there. You know, in this world, uh, I don't even I don't even know how to discuss some of the stuff that happens in this film. We get spray painted cars. We, and, and 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 not keyed, but screwdrivered with extreme prejudice. Yeah, which made me grind my teeth. By the way, I hate that sound. Oh, no. uh, we get uh, people driving uh, uh, Volkswagen rabbits onto a soccer field, which should be a crime in any country, because uh, nobody should be driving a Volkswagen rabbit onto a, onto the soccer pitch. No. <laughs> But uh, with old Blondie in there, Rugger Howard's little brother. Oh, I hated that <laughs> fucking guy, man. Yeah. His little mini ponytail. Yeah. That that gang, by the way, they got out of the car. That that's that's what I like to call the pet shop boys firm. <laughs> <laughs> or the general public firm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they got out of there, man. It's like Jesus. <laughs> Those guys, man. Excellent, man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's make lots of money. <laughs> But anyway, I mean, yeah. you get uh, car spray painted, screwdriver, you know, not keyed, and everything else. We get uh, scarification. I mean, I, I don't even—I don't want to discuss it too much because I don't want to go into plot details. But let's just say scarification. I mean, it goes places that I didn't even see. Now, I had seen the movie a while back. My first experience with hooliganism in a film was that Elijah Wood film. Was it Green Street Hooligans? Is that what it was called? Yep. And I just watched that on a whim one day. I was like, huh, I wonder what this is about. So I just kind of put it in and started watching it, and I was like, surely this world doesn't exist. But uh, I was wrong. I started looking into it and stuff, and it does exist and stuff. So I was pretty amazed. But again, like I said, but th- 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 there's just so much. To- I don't want to go into the details, but let's let's ask the important questions, Will. How about those strippers? 
<laughs> well, I got a funny story about uh, strippers from that neck of the woods. Oh boy, <laughs> I went to uh, I went to Scotland uh, for a tour uh, to play rugby over there, and uh, we we were in Edinburgh, which is the capital, and we went to uh, we we're looking for a ripper joint. We were young guys; we we're about twenty years old, and uh, we went to this the strip club, and uh, I'll use that term very loosely because the the strip club aspect of it was you know like I don't know if they even have them too much anymore you know TV trays yeah yeah like that you eat in front of your couch mm-hmm. the the stripper stage was about as big as a TV tray <laughs> and it had the pole down the middle of course like she's lucky if she had three feet in any direction um, <laughs> it, let's just say you know in Europe they may have a lot of things going for them in that part of the world but. Uh, strip clubs is not one of them. Uh, just to give you a heads up, this is real time podcasting. I just checked out my Twitter, and uh, John just posted a photo of you. You're pointing at his hero on his shirt, or you're prepping to give him a twi- titty twister. It says, <laughs> "Oh yeah, he's got the Mafuni shirt on." Yeah, see that. Uh, Yojimbo, I believe it was. <laughs> nice live podcasting Twitter feeds. It, it's also on Facebook, actually, on our nice. Facebook group. Nice, nice, good. Uh, but yeah, I mean. It, the strippers. I mean, come on. And then, the, what about that belly dancer? Wow. Hello. She was a belly dancer. Yeah, felt sorry for her. They just throw all the alcohol on her stuff. Pretty terrible, regardless yeah. of what she looks like and everything else. But here's where here's here's where this film really both drives me insane and lo- and I, I loved it. Okay, and and uh, there's a reason. But one, it's Gary Oldman. Yeah. Now, we talk a lot about Gary Oldman, and and we all know Gary Oldman is one of the most notorious over actors. Uh, that's ever been, but I'm a big fan of these guys that overact, and the reason why is I like that they overcommit. And uh, I just recently watched Gary Oldman in the Book of Eli, and he, even though he's a little bit more subtle in that, he still overacts. I mean, he's the only guy I know that could be in a room sleeping and he's overacting, and uh, he's really, really over the top. And in this one, I love his demeanor because it starts out as you think that he's part of this football firm. And you think he's kind of a civilized football firm guy and stuff. But as the film goes along, he gets progressively darker and stranger. And there's a scene in the film where he ends up back at his parents' house. And he has all these football, uh, you know, it's, it's a, his, his uh, childhood bedroom, I would imagine. And uh, he has this, you know, this throne of worship. You know, all of us boys or maybe even girls, we all hang pictures on the wall. You know, I mean, for me, it was Christopher Atkins and uh, Burt Reynolds. But for other men... <laughs> No, that's not true. But <laughs> no, I mean, you know, we hang pictures of our heroes on the wall, right? So, you know, for me, it was baseball players and uh, basketball players, football players, and whatnot, and some movie stars uh, and stuff. But mostly, mostly sports stars when I was a young kid. And uh, he's got, you know, his soccer pictures. I mean, he's get he got this baton type thing. What are those things called? Do you know what those are called? Those kind of retractable yeah. batons. I don't know, but they they can fuck someone up, man. He works that pillow over like it's going out of style. Yeah, and that's that, that is that is what you see right there is like classic Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm gonna beat this pillow in this scene, Alan. Oh yeah, sure, Gary, go ahead. We'll just get a couple shots of you beating the pillow, and the next thing you know, it's five minutes of Gary Oldman beating the hell out of a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really liked his character, not as a person, but I like the arc that the character took. It just got progressively more and more dark. And, and irrational. It, yeah, and it made no sense. And the immaturity came back. And then all of a sudden, I started to see the ties to the other two films. I started to think, okay, so Gary Oldman's basically, he's Carlin. He's Carlin all grown up. He's gotten a good job. He's got him a nice little home. He's got a wife. He's got a kid. 
Which, by the way, something happens with the kid I don't even want to bring up. But I'll it, talk about it briefly without revealing too much. Yeah, okay, well, when we get to your side, we'll let you talk about it a little bit. But it, it's just this craziness. But he's created a life for himself, but he's still behind the scenes part of this firm and still part of this ugliness that is now. There's I, At first, I thought this was going to take like the gentleman's agreement approach to violence. You know, they all meet up and they talk and everything else. I did not expect it to go where it went. You know what I mean? No. I didn't really expect that. I really didn't. I'll be honest with you. Once there's something that happens in an alleyway to one of the characters, and I was like, holy shit, why, why did that happen? Mm-hmm. And then it just gets progressively darker. I mean, there's really no other way to describe it. But <laughs> I, I just I kept getting more and more disturbed by it. Uh, the more, And it's really just uh, the stuff that happens in this movie, almost is so much reprehensible behavior in this film. It was angering me, and I, and I think that's the sign of a good film, though. You know, it was give, it was giving me an emotional connection. I was getting angry at the movie. I was getting angry at Gary Oldman. I was getting angry at uh, hell. I was getting angry at Gary Oldman's father in the film. I was getting angry at everybody because I didn't understand the logic. Um, I don't really. Was that's, I think that's the point. Yeah, I think it is the point. I think it's the point with the whole thing. When I think about it. I can't understand the logic because I'm not this person. I've never went that far in my life. Yeah, I was angry when I was young. I think most boys, and maybe females too, but I can relate to this more as a boy, a man now. Uh, You know, I was an angry youth. You know, I won't lie. And I didn't go out and, you know, destroy a bunch. Well, I'm not going to say I didn't go out and destroy some things. I destroyed some things. I I was a jerk. But I was never to the level of, you know, some of the stuff that happens here or some of the stuff that's happened in these films. And I just... I don't even know. It, 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 their passion for what they love to do is so destructive, and it's, it's so amazing to me that they it's can a live, fucking juvenile. Yeah, that they can live a normal life and then have this dark side, this kind of quiet side. That it's just it was so it's so weird, man. It was just a weird experience. There are some good scenes in the movie, though. I like the tattoo scene. Uh, yeah, you know, there's some joviality. You can see it's a very much a club. Some of the singing together and stuff, you know. There's a reason why these guys get into stuff. It's the same reason why guys get into gangs. They want a sense of belonging. And, and you, friendship and the yeah. sort of refusal to grow up a little bit. And you would think that having a family and stuff, you know, gives you a little bit more of a sense of belonging. And for most people, it probably does. But unfortunately for some people, they still need, you know, to go out with the guys and get loaded or to cheat on their wives or to beat people up or God knows what, you know. And uh, who who knows? And really, who does know? I mean, I, I really couldn't even tell you what some people do. There's no telling. But they 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 feel the sense of unity that they have to have. And I just found it amazing that you know you wouldn't walk away from it at some point. It's like pride becomes so powerful that it overwhelms any kind of logical thinking whatsoever. Um, I will say this one last bit though about this film. Uh, I won't give anything away, but I thought. The my, my own biggest problem with the film is that I thought that the ending was a little forced. Uh, do you mean the very last scene or what immediately preceded that? What immediately preceded that? I, that they created that last scene. I don't really know. Maybe that's just me, but I just felt like, you know, you know how far can it go? You know? Mm-hmm. Maybe that was just me. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's it's the one flaw for me. It just didn't work for me. I just didn't expect that. I really didn't expect it. That's really the biggest thing. Maybe it was a surprise. Maybe I was stunned. I don't know. I just wasn't ready for it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 
it, it's a it's a mesmerizing film. It was really really good, man. I mean, I really really liked this one. I think I liked for me. I think I liked this one the most. Um, I liked it the second most. I liked um, I liked Made in Britain more. Okay, okay, and uh, I think I, I think I did like this one the most, even though I gave it I think the same scores I gave Scum. But I, I think I like this one more uh, just because it's so reprehensible in some ways and so negative in some ways and so just bewildering. I think bewilderment is a good exa- a good word to use when I watched this film. I was very much bewildered. I was feeding uh, the boy while I was watching it, and I'm sitting there thinking, Jesus Christ, if I was this kind of guy, I wouldn't deserve to have a child. No, I know. So it was amazing. Uh, okay, well, I'll kick over to you get some notes from you. Uh, this film's a little bit of a different time than the other two. The other two are late 70s, early 80s. This is the late 80s, as evidenced by the feathered hair and the fashion and the shoulder pads. Yeah, and, the Pet Shop Boys clothes. Pet Shop Boys clothes and, <laughs> and general public, like I said, and some tenderness <laughs> and all that good stuff. Nice. Um, the interesting thing, too, is that this is an older man. Like we said, he's the focal point, higher socioeconomic status. Um, it's not that sort of 16 to, well, this 15 to 18-year-old we've become accustomed to with the first two. But it's almost as if one of those guys is in this one. Like he's, he's, he's lived his life because they reference other crimes he's done and stuff, and, and this is where one of those guys is at. And again, some of the characters from the first film in particular are in this one, and I think that might have been intentional from Clark to kind of, sh- almost without saying it, these are the same boys from that. It's, it's this is what happens. Um, again, we kind of see that cinematic style by Clark again of following behind people, and it's, it's a little more refined. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what I noticed a lot. It's, this one seems very refined. Hang on, Sammy. I got. Uh, you know what? You know what time it is. That's right. Ah, you know. People liked what you did. It's Thomas, yes. A lot of people liked what you did last week. I left heavy on for a guest spot. Are you okay with that? Yes? You could ask your agent, mummy. <laughs> ask his, his agent. <laughs> um, she strikes a hard bar. That's not a truck. That's Lord Humongous. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, we can see... No, he built like a truck, though. Uh, we see a fairly fairly good cover of That's Amore by someone. I don't know who that was. but Oh, yeah, it was I, good. I liked that. Yeah. And I, I like Dino, so, I mean, uh, I you know, but I liked it. Um, you talked about Mr. Mini Ponytail with his peroxide blonde hair and, and his convertible golf. I mean, he's just a real douchey kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he, he's an awful person, actually. This is awful. This is awful. As a, oh, that must be me on the speakers. <laughs> yeah, I'm turning it down right now. <laughs> yeah, I just got a blast of my loud bassy voice. <laughs> I'm very sorry. I just my son's lurking. <laughs> oh, he's lurking for damage. <laughs> um, no, I, I I found that character repugnant, to say the least. Yeah, I hated him. Um, we talked. You talked about the girls on stage, so I don't need to get into that too much. Those weren't girls, dude. Those those were, those were old old ladies on stage. Yeah, they were pretty pretty rock. <laughs> Way past cougar. Uh, oh yeah. Um. Again, I just love the the scene where the uh, the few of the different firms are kind of bantering back and forth, and we get that um that kind of rough-and-tumble Cockney kind of banter back and forth, which is, like I said, always enjoyable in films. Yeah, yeah. I almost had I, I almost had to uh, get, like, right up next to my... my the, Landon was sleeping at the time. I almost had to put my head right up against the TV to understand what the fuck they were talking about. <laughs> I know. 
Because <laughs> at times I was like, what the hell did he just say? <laughs> no, I know, man. Um, and uh, with Oldman, again, we see the, the formula that Clark employs, which is a very simple, if elusive for a lot of people. It's get a great actor, a whirlwind actor, very charismatic, and write a, write a good film, and you'll have a winning formula. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's done again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his work, it seems, I, I'm not real familiar with all of his work, but it seems like it, uh, it seems like he had a lot of trouble getting stuff made film-wise. Um, Which is a shame there was such a resistance to him because he's one of the better filmmakers to come out of England, I think, uh, of our time. Yeah, and uh, I think he, he died young, unfortunately. Not, oh, he's dead. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's only uh, 55 years old, 54 years old, something like that. It's terrible. I don't know if he was sick or what, but he didn't live very long, and he wasn't active very long. I mean, there's just not a whole lot in there. I want to see this David Bowie film he did, though. The which one? Ball, B-A-A-L. Yeah, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it. I'm going to try to track down everything he's done. I really want to watch Elephant, because like I said, I love Elephant, which mm-hmm. my uh, my wife hated. <laughs> so I want to watch the original one. And we also got to, maybe we should review the show, we got to do Billy the Kid and the Green Bay's Vampire. <laughs> I don't know. My what. wife, you know what she said? What? I go, um, elephant. There's an original. Because there's an original. What? Do they walk longer in this one? <laughs> actually, actually, I heard in the uh, Alan Clark. There's even less dialogue in the Alan Clark version. He, Sammy, heard that uh, in this one. There's even less dialogue. <laughs> she's, she's got the thumb up. She's good to go. Um, we can see very early on that Gary Oldman was um, practicing his. His Jamaican uh, accent for when he would be into romance. Yeah. Yeah. He was cool it now. <laughs> yeah. Gary Oldman loves to do accents, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he does. Uh, but yeah, we talked about that scene with the three firms and the arguing, pissing contest and the little digs at each other and calling each other shirt lifters and dildos. And and, and that that's all in good fun. That's what I thought from that scene. So that's when it went dark, it really kind of stunned me. Yeah, it goes really dark, and like I said, like you said, almost like honor amongst thieves or honor amongst hooligans. But there's no honor uh, in that. It's uh, come here, let's go. I'm gonna finish here. Come on, okay. Um, is the what did I write here? Oh. Thanks, babe. My mic's refreshing my memory. I love uh, when he goes to his parents' house. He's had a fight with his wife. Or no, no, it wasn't even then. There's a moment when he, he's going to his parents' house. It's later on in the evening, and, and the mother says to him, Is that you? And she goes, I hope so. Oh, no, no, it was his wife, maybe. She goes, I hope so. Otherwise, you're being burgled. Yeah, yeah. And d- kind of a funny delivery of that line. Yeah, I know. I like that. Um, there was a moment when they're, they're referring to the, the not entirely glamorous... Uh, strippers and one of the characters says every woman has a right to be ugly this one abused the privilege yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty rough <laughs> that is rough I'm a, they have this, uh, they have this kind of jovial uh, relationship with the strippers it's obvious that these are the same two strippers that strip every night i don't even know if they're strippers as much as they're local girls pants, yeah. right they're local girls it's a, it's you know they're from the neighborhood right so um I hated, we talked about the blonde douche, and I hate him so much. Look, at mommy's got your juice. Juice, go get your juice. <laughs> that was his problem when he was growing up. His mommy didn't get him his juice. 
Yeah, apparently. And I, I can't dupe my son with apple juice. Um, but I hate that blonde guy because he's such a chicken, man. Like, he he vandalizes two cars so bad. It's like, why don't you fight with your fist? I hate... Ooh, I hate that, man. I hate seeing cars get keyed. And it's like that line uh, Vincent, Vincent Vega has in Pulp Fiction when he goes, it'd almost be worth him doing it just so I could catch him doing it. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't f with the man's automobile, and they they really f with some automobiles. What they blow up basically blow up a BMW at one point. They blow, blow up a Beamer. I mean, they really put the boot to these to these cars, man. It's amazing. Thank you, by the way, babe. <laughs> um, there's a pretty nice ed- moment in this film that Clark cuts from this brutal violence to uh, a sleeping infant, mm-hmm. and I think it, it it does something. It punctuates where he should be with where he is. And it also, I think, is, is just a reminder of, in general, you know, the, the, um, the paradox or just the, the, how different what he is and, and what he needs to be is. Right. Right. And, and like you said, I mean, you know, you really have to stop when the, uh, when the responsibility starts, and he doesn't, he wants to have his cake and eat it too, and he's he wants to be sixteen forever, apparently. Yeah, yeah, young and, and hey, violent. Aren't working now because they're not plugged in. Hang on a sec, Sammy. <laughs> oh boy. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, apologies. <laughs> uh, there's a scene I won't. Three weeks in a no, two or three weeks in a row now. We've had box cutters in films. Yeah. Yeah, bizarre of all things. Um, there's a pretty awful scene with one I don't want to talk about much. It was a really hard scene for me to to watch, as I'm sure it was for you. As I'm sure it, was, it would be for anyone. It was very the way it's portrayed is very realistic. It just kind of happens out of nowhere, and then the panic that happens afterwards is, seemed very real. It did. It was really well done. Again, that's the thing I love about Clark. It wasn't this big flashy thing. It felt very real, and you kind of feel your own pulse, your heart rate going up, and you know, yeah, I don't know how they really pulled it off. I mean, I'm sure it's just like an old-fashioned gadget trick, but I wondered that too. I wondered that. I imagine that the the child was quite scared because. Oh, do you want to say that? Well, uh, that's all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> I'll stop there. That doesn't give anything away. <laughs> <laughs> um, and later on, you know, we I talked about uh, Bex, who's Oldman's character, his insistence on marching to you know, an inevitable conclusion of sorts. Um, we see his one friend who's been with them, you know, you can get, get assume that they've been together for a long time, the guy with the BMW. And I like that scene because the guy says, look where we're at. I mean, my car's got blown up. You know, your car got mangled. I mean, he goes, this is getting out of control. We're not kids anymore. And yeah. And yet Bex insists on driving this through to the bitter end. And yeah, that character is like the voice of reason. He's like the guy that's he's moving past it. He's still there, but he's trying to get out of it. Well, he knows there's a line that's been crossed, and that's, mm-hmm. you can't go back once you cross that line. And right. you can tell it's not out of fear. It's just he knows how ridiculous. Yeah, he just had he's had he's had an epiphany. He's had a personal epiphany that you know this is just what the hell is going on? You know. Everything suffers. I mean, everything in his life, because he's so focused on this, suffers. There's such a domestic strain on his life. His, his wife and him argue constantly about it. And it's like, you know, what are you doing? I mean, it's just unbelievable. And, you know, uh, I just, the only thing, I don't know. It just, it, it really, like I said, you start to see everything fall down around him. And he, everyone sees it but him. 
I kind of wish they would have. The one thing they could have added more was is that you know his wife had to have fallen in love with him for some reason, and he's always been this guy. So I have to believe that she liked the bad boy. You know what I mean? And then the uh, bad. I think yeah, but, but then again, she was younger then too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she might have been a bad girl. But see, the thing is, is that you know she might have changed because she had the baby and stuff and moved on. I think there could have been some more stuff with the family. I mean, there's some good scenes between him and the wife. Some really good scenes, but yeah. I still think there was some more that could have been said there. Uh, and I think, sorry, go ahead. no, I'm just saying, I think there's more that could have been said there to kind of relate to, you know, because I think people are attracted to each other for reasons. And then sometimes people change or they don't change. And, uh, you know, some pe- other people do change. People change over time. But everybody does. Nobody, nobody stays the oh, same. I'm a lot different than I was when I was 20. I mean, oh, infinitely different. You and I have talked about that many no, times. I don't even, I don't, I can't even remember what I was like when I was 20, but I'm sure I wasn't exactly the bell of the ball i can tell you that <laughs> i i can cr- i cringe when i think about uh what i was like when i was 20 because i thought i was the bell of the ball <laughs> i mean it's just ridiculous man diesel jeans and all it just i yeah it's just but this guy that's the thing bex is still 18 and he's 30 yeah i mean that's the thing he's my age now yeah he won't he, I know. he just won't move on he, he's just no he's stuck he's stuck if did this uh as a boy, but you know? the problem is the problem with this character that gets so frustrating is he's stuck by choice. He's not stuck because he has to be stuck. Well, it's by yeah, very clearly he has options. He's intelligent. He has a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's no reason for him to be in it. Uh, you know, uh, other than by choice and insistence, blind insistence. And um, I have to mention this. Just it's not related to anything we're talking about right now. But I thought it was hilarious they were playing George Michael when the strippers were on. I want your sex. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. <laughs> Heard that. Yeah, but I that just sorry to jump into that. But no, I mean I just got one more note. I think the film itself, you know, we see a few times it's not even about the sport after a while. These guys aren't yeah. even watching the matches. Mm-hmm. It's like I think that says so much. It's just it's it goes so much beyond the it's not anything to do with the sport anymore. It's just this ridiculous testosterone field lashing out. And listen, I'm I like to I like sport and contact and, and guy stuff as much as the next guy. I mean I'm not a you know, one of these really meek, meek people. But I think, you know, again, you have to draw the line somewhere. And it's it's so preposterous. Not preposterous. It's absurd, not from the film standpoint, because I think the film accurately depicts how far some of this stuff goes. Right. That's what I mean. In reality, how far this stuff goes. Like, right. to the point where a lot of these these uh, these British hooligans, I know when the hooliganism got really bad, you know, maybe within the past 10 years, it's calmed down now, I think, a bit in England from what I've seen. But they were yanking passports whenever there was, like, international matches. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it, you're right. I mean, there's a great scene where they are at a soccer match, and uh, they are just they just kind of walk up in the rampway. They're just kind of talking. They're not even looking at the field at all. No, their back's turned to the pitch. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's like it doesn't even come forward. Again, I would like to hear if any of our English listeners have any experience in this at all. Not if, yeah. they're, not if they're in a firm. I don't really care if they want to tell us that or not. If they want to tell us, that's fine. But... Uh, I'd be interested if anybody's had any experience with these type of fellows. Yeah, I just, you know, respectfully to any of our listeners, if they are, you know, I just, I don't see it when you, what's at stake when you have families and, yeah, you know, I just, I don't see it. I, yeah, I don't I, get it. Well, I don't get it either, but hey, you know, teach their own some ways, unless some, you know, some somebody innocent's getting hurt, yes. which I have a problem with. That's, you know, you want to hurt each other, that's fine with me. Yes. <laughs> just don't hurt anybody that doesn't deserve it. All right. Uh, okay, so I'll go over my maker breaks and stuff. Uh, my maker break for this one is the uh, 
the uh, the the pillow scene. I like that scene. He goes to this room, this room where he spent most of his youth, probably fantasizing about some of these things. Maybe maybe being a soccer player or a football player. You know, he's got all these pictures up there and stuff. He's got a he's got a briefcase full of weapons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which there's some there's some pretty funny moments. I have to admit with the weaponry. That scene where they're oh, trying yeah. to take the picture is just ridiculous. I mean, come on, give me a break. <laughs> we got like Mad Max weapons. <laughs> Oh, there's, there's like there's like bats with nails and barbed wire on it and shit. It's just crazy. But I like that scene where he's up there and he's kind of working himself up and stuff, you know. And you see this fantasy for uh, Bex. You know, he, this it's it's all fantasy for him, but he gets to live it, and that's what he wants. You know, he, it's kind of a fulfillment of what he you know fantasizes about. This is the one where I'm going to give the MVT to Clark. This is the one where I think he really kind of comes through for me. Uh, I'm not saying that Made in Britain isn't a good film, too. It's a good film. I just think that this is the one for me that worked the best. Maybe it's because I'm older now. Uh, I don't know. Uh, some parts of me could relate to Gary Oldman a little bit. That kind of newness of being a dad and stuff and how, you know, you got to you gotta leave your past transgressions behind you a little bit and you got to move on. And unfortunately, I, I, I can move on. I haven't, you know, went back to my old ways, but... I could relate to that somehow in some ways, not, not his, uh, his, uh, firm belief or well, more of the familial stuff. Yeah. More of the familial stuff and where he was at. And it felt like he was kind of lost. Maybe he wasn't ready to have a child. Maybe he wasn't ready for this. Now, look, you know, I'm not making excuses for anybody that does that kind of stuff that happens, but either way I, I could relate to that a little bit. I felt like he was a little bit lost and stuff. doesn't make him a good person. Just felt like he was lost. Um, my score for the film's an eight out of 10. I gave the same score as scum. So I really liked it a lot. And uh, Gary Oldman's fantastic in it as well. And there's really the only other person I know is the, the African American actor. And I remember he was in Snatch, uh, the Guy Ritchie film. But I don't remember. And he was in Gary. He was in Gary Oldman's club. I don't. Everybody else, I can't really remember any faces in there really. I'm sure. Yeah, the black guy was uh, one of the guys with the dog. I think wasn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. With the yeah. the guys ended up with the uh, yeah the chew toy and <laughs> yeah, all that. the chew toy thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I knew I recognized him. I didn't. I didn't have time, unfortunately, to look in a lot of these faces. I wanted to though, but um, yeah. So okay, uh, my make or break. Uh, what did you say your make or break was again? It's the uh, it's the scene of him in the bedroom. We're basically where he beats oh, right. the pillow. That's right. That's right. Uh, my make or break scene is just that it's more of a moment than anything. It's the moment with the box cutter. Yeah, that's uh, a that's a good one. Ooh boy, it just it really yeah. grabbed me. Yeah. Uh, MVT, you know the uh, the Tasmanian devil with a mustache. Nice, uh, <laughs> Mr. Oldman. You know. Yeah, we forgot to mention that Oldman's rocking the mustache hardcore in this one. It, it almost <laughs> is like he's like the uh, the um, oh boy. Uh, Commissioner Gordon, early Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, yeah, the Commissioner Gordon is a little bit more full, but this one, yeah. uh, he does look incredibly like a young Commissioner Gordon in this film. Yeah. And, and uh, he's got that, it's, I like to call that one like the lazy caterpillar mustache, that kind of like thin, kind of, but it's kind of, it's kind of medium thick. It's not, yeah. it's not though so thin that it's like one of those, uh, like uh, Don Juan type mustaches or anything. It's, it's definitely that medium thin thickness there i think uh i think uh piccolo needs to adapt the uh gary oldman look the, the commissioner gordon look actually you know what now i think about it alex kind of looks like commissioner gordon <laughs> a little bit a little bit yeah nice yeah. commissioner loaf nice actually it was funny i was at the uh i was going to the beach so i bought some lunch meat yesterday so i picked up some genoa salami which i love uh picked up some honey ham and and some uh, cajun turkey but i saw pimento 
uh, was it olive and pimento loaf, and I thought of loaf, and I smiled. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, my score for the film is a 7.5 out of 10. Nice. It's a really good trilogy, man. I think it says a lot, and I think the more I think about it, my score could potentially go up a little bit. I think these are all done for for TV. That's the, the astounding part. They're excellent works that... I mean, the thing is, they're so efficient. They're so lean. They're all under 80 minutes long, and they say a lot and ask a lot of questions, and force you to kind of come up with some answers um, and yeah. all feature all, all three of them feature excellent central performances yeah they have nice follow through too from the theme is almost there from the beginning and it has a great follow yeah. through absolutely so yeah those are all my notes uh, I think uh, it's breaky time before we get into the, the length and girth of uh, feedback yes the massive feedback alright we're going to take a break uh, get yourself a drink sit back and relax or a cigar or a cigarette whatever you need there's going to be a lot of feedback coming all right, we'll be back. We'll be back right after this. Popsyndicate.com. Your one stop for all your unhealthy obsessions. Breaking news and in-depth reviews on all of your favorite movies, music, TV shows, podcasts, comics, books. Popsyndicate.com. We are back. It's a little uh, track there from the Funky Sixteen Corners. Uh, they're called. I think it's called Carbo Squeeze. No, no, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, you're too much of a gearhead, my friend. It's uh, it's uh, Chuck Carbo. Can I be your squeeze? There we go. <laughs> I'm just going by the title of the MP3, which was Carbo Squeeze. <laughs> ah, well, that would make sense then. That was. I love, I love that title, Carbo Squeeze. Yes. <laughs> well, there we go. Off to a rip roaring start this morning. Let's. Get- Let's get going with some feedback, and we have a ton. Hope everybody's settled in and uh, sit back and relax. we got a lot to go over here. Yes, so let's get into our very first email, uh, which is from Carl, and Carl's title is Flying Forearm. It says, Gents, thank you for front-loading last week's show with 1980s wrestling name-dropping. The holy triumvirate of Santana, Martel, and Zen could be awesome enough as isolated references, but the fact that you managed to cover everyone involved in the Can-Am connection and Strike Force tag teams was both magical and efficient. Yes. <laughs> One would be hard-pressed to find three grapplers from that era with more luxurious hair and better tans. <laughs> On a more general note, while I've missed Sammy's insights a great deal, Piccolo and Rupert have done a more than admirable job in their contributions these last several weeks. Do I sense a Four Horsemen-style team-up brewing in future episodes? It would be epic as long as you minimize the infighting over who gets to be Tully Blanchard. In any case, uh, great work all around. The show hasn't missed a beat. Best, KB. There'll be a uh, scaffold match with the uh, hot oil in the bottom. Yes. <laughs> and wax yes. for Alex's mustache. <laughs> yeah, a whole lot of wax. No, that's... Uh, yeah, no, we're glad you dug it, uh, Carl. Um, and they did a great job filling in, as, as we said. Uh, and they're going to be around. We're just Sammy and Ivan tossed around ideas, ways to keep the show from expanding beyond its already uh, insane lengths and to keep these guys in the mix. So it's going to happen um, sooner rather than later, but uh, just be patient. Yeah. The show does expand. It's like a uh, sponge. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks, um, thanks then, Carl. We appreciate it. 
Yes, thank you, Carl. This, um, I don't know. I, I didn't know if this one here was a uh, junk mail or not, so I left it in there. <laughs> me too, because it was too creepy and interesting to not read on air. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to give the guy's last name. We'll say it's Jeff. Yes. Uh, see if anybody look, see if anybody else got this with junk mail. <laughs> I, I did look this guy up on Facebook, and there is a Facebook account. I was scared to add him as a friend for fear of him being insane, though. <laughs> um, so the email is titled Mannequin, and it says, Hello, I'm Jeff. We'll leave the last name out. And I would like to order some mannequins. Do you carry them in stock? I want a full body mannequin for male and female. Do you carry them and what are the price ranges? Please advise. Thanks, Jeff. Um, well, we don't carry mannequins. We uh, are friends with the gentleman who kills mannequins, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, in his retirement, he, he opened the Henry Silva Emporium of Mannequins and uh, where he, he has them and he kind of takes his, his old age wrath out on them. But we don't carry them. We're not purveyors of... No. Of uh, wigged, uh, no. frozen-faced figures. So, uh, apologies for that, Jeff. Oh, that, that is a horror movie staple of a lot of the movies we cover, though. The mannequins. Yeah. No, it definitely is. But uh, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, mannequin man. Uh, okay, nice. so next one is from. Uh, did he have a? Oh yes, Jay. Jay says just listen to episode ninety. Nice work as always. But I'm surprised no one mentioned this. I forgot to see. I forgot what that. Um, I'll, I'll uh, click on it right now. Yes. While you're still reading it, so. I, I, lo- I clicked on it when we first opened the email when we got it. But da 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 da. Oh, it's a Jackie Chan video. Of some oh, sort. it's it's uh yeah, it's a police story. Ah, nice. You know, it's so funny he mentions this um, because he it's the scene with the bus. Yes. When uh, at the beginning, when the the uh, the guys fly out of the bus uh, through the window and Jackie yeah. Chan stops them. Um, and uh, what he's saying, he's referenced that, referencing that uh, in comparison to the opening scene where the Zadar goes through a window with Stallone pulling a similar move. And at the time, I thought about Police Story, um, but I was just too... There's, um, there's the music to the Stallone uh, Tango Cash version. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So nice. I, I was just too uh, mesmerized by the Zadar's face to, yes. to write a note about it. So I did think about it. So anyway, he says, not trying to start a debate. Hong Kong cinema rips off, borrows homages, Hollywood right and left. But when I first saw Tim going Cash in a theater, the scene rubbed me the wrong way. This jam was pretty much still unknown in North America at the time. It was a clear indication that Hollywood was hip to HK filmmakers. And looking back, it was a sign of things to come. Thanks for reading my email on the last show. Films and information are infinitely more accessible now. And that is a good thing. The tape trading days were in a time when the world was a much larger place. If I knew then what I know now, I would have waited and spent my time and energy getting laid instead of obtaining a third-generation VHS copy of Zombie 3. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for the good listening. It makes the work day easier. Cheers, yeah. Jay. And then he says something that he doesn't want read on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yes, I did know that his name wasn't identical to the male star, um, but it was close enough that I had to make the... Right. Comparison. Right, right, right. And and, um, and I, I think he's being a little too, well, I think maybe he's being a little too critical on himself here uh, with something else he says, but um, uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't an overshare, I'll just say that. He, just say, uh, he does say, though, we can't share this, that he's no relation to Randy Spears. <laughs> yes. Yes. So. Exactly. It was nice to hear so, that he, a porn star instead of a pop star, so I'm thinking he must mean Britney Spears. Yes, yes, exactly. So thank you for that, Jay. Unless you had anything else to add, Sammy? Uh, no, no. Thank you for that very much. I actually had forgotten about the uh, 
scene in um, Tango and Cash because, uh, well, I was going to watch it, and I was actually going to call in feedback to my own show, <laughs> but uh, I never got around to it, unfortunately, because I was too busy at the time, so... Uh, but uh, just seeing that scene now, it, it brings the whole... It's uh, odd that weird one scene brings like the whole movie back all of a sudden. It's like, I remember everything now. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. The next one is a picture that I wish we could... Maybe, you know what? Can I save this? I'm going to maybe post it on our Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. yeah, do that. Put it on the face. That is an awesome uh, picture of one uh, very gonna, famous character. <laughs> I'm going to do it as we record right now. Nice. So by the time, you know what? I'm doing it right now, Sammy. So by the time <laughs> you're all listening, I want you to go to your computer. If you're in front of a computer, mm-hmm. I want you to go to our Facebook group and I want you to look for the awesome picture of an awesome person yes. wearing makeup or getting makeup applied <laughs> on the set of a film. Uh, it's a gentleman's guide favorite. Yes. Uh, Sammy, will I do that? Can you read the next email? Uh, sure, I can do that. Let's see here. We got, um, let's see. I just saved that voicemail so you can remember your notes when you talked about it. Oh, I get to read the Scorn Mandible one. This is, this is going to be fun. Nice. Uh, Dear Mental Jen, thank you for discussing Throne of Blood. I love Kurosawa a lot. I watched Hidden Fortress again just last week, so I'm in the mood for the AK joints. Now, I must say that the more I watch Akira films, the more I hate George Lucas. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love the Straws films. That's what he says. But for the love of Satan, don't tell me that Lucasfilm can honestly say that he based it all on Throne, except for the two clowns. Forget it. I think you meant Hidden Fortress. There. Hidden Fortress, <laughs> yes. yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, we all know the Princess is Ripley. Come clean, your, your, come clean, you cigar-chomping limey. You owe more to this than Lucas Skywalker ever will. <laughs> By the way, if you need a babysitter for the newborn, just drop me a line. Lastly, one of you mentioned that Mafuni had wood under his costume and thrown when arrows were being shot into him. Well, I suggest that he had wood under each and every costume he has ever worn in any Kurosawa movie. <laughs> <laughs> P.S. Glacial is Tarkovsky's stalker. Compared to that, thrown is speed, crank, smoking, aces, and born. <laughs> uh, sent from Darth Vader's iPhone. <laughs> so That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, he's just right about uh, Tarkovsky's stalker. That is a slow burn. He's absolutely right, I think, in comparison. In everything in perspective, and Tarkovsky is infinitely more glacial mm-hmm. than uh, anything that uh, Kurosawa did. So Infinitely. <laughs> can you uh, read, sorry, one more statement, just because I'm, I'm just adding this picture in my computer. Sure, I can do that. Uh, I'll just, well, we got another picture, too, but I don't want to put it on the Facebook group because it's somebody's iPhone, supposedly, so... But it's a very cool picture that has uh, a gloriously afroed, uh, <laughs> hammed rear from the GGTMC website right on the front of his uh, iPhone, which is very cool. Yes. He's got his, if anybody out there has iPhones, he's got his, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he's got his, uh, he's got his iPhone uh, apps all set up and he's got GGTMC up in the top left corner, which uh, is on his first page there. Or not his first page, looks like it's fourth page. Come on, Craig, you got to put it on your first page, brother. And, uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, OTC's on there and some other stuff, too. But uh, oddly enough, it's got a picture of the one and only Batchett and St. Mel Gibson in the background. So <laughs> it uh, it all kind of go coincides with each other there. <laughs> and, and pictures of either Mary Magdalene or or Jesus Christ as his uh, some of his other options. <laughs> so thanks for sharing, Craig. <laughs> we appreciate <Yes>. it. <laughs> that is bizarre, to say the least. <laughs> I have a picture of one of my dogs on my phone and... Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> I'll have to get some pictures of something else, like a blue waffle. 
It's too early in the morning for a blue waffle to bring the blue waffle back, my friend. <laughs> Some would argue it's I'm never too early for the blue waffle. <laughs> good thing I'm not eating blue waffles right now. <laughs> yeah, that is a good thing because we'd have to have another microphone. Yes. <laughs> All right, do you want me to read the next one, too? While you're, uh... Uh, yeah, I'm just finishing captioning this picture, if you don't mind. Yes, no problem. This is from uh, Michael over in England. Greetings from the British Isles from Michael. Uh, first of all, I'm happy to see Sam back on the show and hope that the first moments of fatherhood onwards will be wonderful and rewarding for him. Again, this is going to be another of those emails from me, which will just be a list of with no sense of structure. There are too many films to mention. Number one, it was interesting to hear the review of Throne of Blood. Not just because a certain little William decided to make his stamp on the show. I haven't seen a lot of Akira Kurosawa's work, but I hold his two Shakespeare adaptions, Ron, Ron, uh, Ran, Ron, and uh, Throne of Blood to the highest of those I've seen. Uh, with the one you reviewed, I did study the original play Macbeth in secondary school, I presume high school on the other side of the pond, and I can appreciate how Kurosawa took it and crafted his own version of it. Number two, during the last week I spent a night and a day with my older brother in a large city, Sheffield, and managed to see two very different films at the cinema. One was Christopher Nolan's Inception, which has ingenious ideas at the center of it and one of the most impressive casts I've seen in a mainstream film, but felt like the blueprint for a great film that is then a, full, then a fully satisfying one. The other was Trash Humpers, my first Harmony Corinne film. Based on what it is, I believe it is a total failure in what it was meant to be, but it was far more interesting and fascinating than most films I've seen. Even if it's unintentional, this is one of the best films I've seen yet this year, yet this year just behind a little work called Valhalla Rising. They got a twenty, uh, got 2010 cinema and DVD release in good old blighty. Uh, number three. I felt I should recommend to the listeners with great caution the 1990 Greek film Singapore Sling. I added the words great caution because anyone who is sensitive to extreme content, those with weak stomachs, and anyone allergic to even the slightest hint of pretentiousness should avoid this film by a country mile. Everyone else should expect a mindfuck subversion of film noir with beautiful black and white cinematography and made with intelligence from the late director, writer, Nikos Nikolaitis. I think I said that right. Nikos Nikolaitis. Oh, your Greek is better than I thought. That Suvaki <laughs> you ate must have. Uh... <laughs> that was it. Uh, just be warned, there is an electrocution, vomiting, and urination, people uh, talking directly to the viewer, and very inappropriate use of a kiwi fruit. And that is just a small chunk of the things in it. All right. Uh, number four, I think, I, no, I've not seen Singapore Sling. I've always meant to. I never got around to it. Number four, has anyone else seen or heard of the TV movie directed by Abel Ferrara called The Gladiator? I found a secondhand DVD of this film about a man who loses his younger brother in a hit-and-run murder and decides to soup up his pickup truck and become a vigilante who runs drunk drivers off the road and decided to buy it. I didn't really like it, to be honest, but I thought it should be mentioned. It is worth looking for at for the show and for any Abel Ferrara fans for completion's sakes. Okay, and number five. Finally, I found it extremely funny when you brought up Billy Blanks on the last show. I had watched my first film with Blanks in, in it not so long ago beforehand, a sci-fi called TC2000, and was bemused by how bad his haircut was in it. Clearly, before shooting the film, he had a fight with an ill-tempered lawnmower and lost. <laughs> with regards, Michael, or he signs it the keyboard monkey. So, a lot of stuff in Michael's. Even you got anything to add to any of that? Yes, I do. Um... Uh, Trash Humpers was one Sammy and I had talked about potentially seeing at TIFF, but yeah. I think I was more a little more interested than you were, but you brought up a good point that it might be fucking awful, and since we only have 10 films, <laughs> let's take some safe bets. Well, you know, with Harmony Corinne, it's it's, it's literally a 50-50 shot. And, and this one really looked like him kind of poking the bear with a stick. Yeah, yeah. I, I will see it, but I didn't want to... 
I didn't want to spend my time with my friend at the movie theater, <laughs> possibly seeing something that could be god awful. Yeah, exactly. But you know, some people uh, like it. Uh, some people have, uh, you know, I respect their opinion. Some people like it, including Michael here. So uh, I'm gonna have to check it out. You know, I think, um, I think, hated it. Well, yeah. Singapore Sling is also one I meant to see for a long time. I'll check it out. I have not heard of The Gladiator. Um, I, I have, however, heard of TC2000. Yes. Because I posted an incredible clip from it, either on our group or on our Pop Syndicate page. So we will get into the blanks. I think we got to do... The the blanks deserves its own show, really. So I think when the time comes, <laughs> we'll each pick up a blanks film and get to it. Yeah, yeah. I have a, a kind of a slight Billy Blanks collection, so... Uh I'm ready to go at any time, including I own TC2000, so I'm ready whenever you are. Excellent. i gotta, <laughs> I got to come correct with the blanks. Yeah. Um, next one is from Jacob, and I want to thank Jacob. He actually posted, and hopefully it's still going on when, uh, when this episode drops, Barnes & Noble has 50% off all Criterion discs. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't bought any yet, but I've been tempted to buy about 10 at least. No, more. <laughs> what am I saying? 10. That's a lie. Um, but he writes and says, hey, gents, another great episode as always. Thanks to aimless Netflix browsing. Throwdown was my introduction to Johnny Toe, and I haven't looked back since. Speaking of something Sammy had said, uh, Toe has made a couple romantic comedies. Personally, I actually enjoy Needing You and Love on a Diet, the Andy Lau, Sammy Chang fat suit opus. Of course, this is not to be confused with the philosophical Andy Lau in a muscle suit opus running on karma. Also, in reference to your conversation about the best genre director, I would go with Mario Bava or Kinji Fukusaku although they could be considered a generation before Carpenter. Speaking of Fukusaku, I'd love it if at some point you gents covered one of his stellar Yakuza flicks. Oh, and one more thing. This episode contained a transcendental moment in podcasting history as William struggled with little William while breathlessly speaking about how men's decisions being self-fulfilling prophecies. <laughs> Talking about the struggles of a man, uh, of man coming to terms with their own decisions while audibly struggling with his own whirling dervish of his son. Yes. It was almost like performance podcasting. Brilliant. That's all I got. Peace. Yeah, one of the Jacob. great things. <laughs> Thanks, Jacob. One of the great things about the uh, that whole moment was uh, the exasperation in your, in your breath as you were running around and the kind of grunting and stuff from the stretching and trying to reach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard it. And I was, yeah, because there was times where I'm in the back of, you've seen I'm in the back of the room against the one wall. <laughs> trying to like project my voice other times i'm on the elliptical trying to (laughs) grab my son from that before he you know rolls over on an ankle and you know just uh it it worked out well though it it was kind of i guess the universe does work in mysterious ways and that was the cinematic god's uh sense of humor uh having my son do that but i want to thank jacob again and i i uh, have never seen love on a diet i'm aware of andy lau in a fat suit um, I've resisted it. Uh, I've never seen Needing You. Like I said, um, I just never gotten around to his earlier stuff that was more of a mixed bag. Um, so I'll have to maybe check them out, though, at some point. Because I have a big Andy Lau Yeah, fan. another thing, too, though, you know, a lot of your romantic comedies from other countries, they're really hard. Sometimes I find them really hard to get into, and I don't know if that's just because of my American culture. And, you know, there's cultural things. There tend to be more cultural things, as I find, in... Uh, you know, romantic movies and, and sometimes some of the dramas and stuff. Uh, so, you know, I had to be a little bit more well-versed, so I just never really even pursued them. I think you brought up a brilliant point in saying that because I think a lot of times romantic comedies in any country are uh, the the film genre that is meant to appeal to 
most people yes. uh, outside of maybe like the, the popcorn movie because it's a date movie. Yes. So teen couples go see it, older couples go see it. So there's a broader sense of, of um, culture and pop culture right. from that specific country. So you brought up a great point saying that, Sammy. Mm-hmm. Um, can we jump into the next one here? Yeah, sure. This is from uh, Dusty, uh, the uh, New Mexican dream. Yes. Uh, because he's a native son of New Mexico. And Dusty writes and says, some disorganized thoughts. Hello, gents, insomnia. Don't try this at home. Been having one of my bouts with sleeplessness again. So due to that fact, I've had plenty of time to catch up on movie watching and podcasts. Uh, my compliments to Loaf and uh, Mr. Pupkin for doing an excellent job subbing for the samurai. They really added their own unique flavor to the show. And I got some good stuff out of their guest hosting stint. I've never seen a WC Fields movie, and now I'd like to. And I'm almost positive I've seen a censored version of Intrepidos Punks on Spanish-language television. After doing some YouTube research on the movie, I'm mostly positive. Spanish-language TV, by the way, is cheaper and safer than hardcore drug use. Let's spend an hour in front of it, and you get some of the same results. <laughs> Will's List. I saw the Lone Wolf, first Lone Wolf and Cub movie, really enjoyed it. I know these Japanese movies I've been watching are technically considered exploitation, uh, but they have some deep stuff going on. It says a lot about the empty nature of revenge. And while I enjoyed seeing blood-spurting Asians, I also love the scene in which Lone Wolf gave Cub a choice of a life of vengeance or death. A peace, I guess, really. Uh, that's heavy stuff. Uh, I thought the movie was almost like a really good TV pilot in that they set up the characters and left you hanging wanting more. Kurosawa. Okay, I have to admit I've only seen two of Kurosawa's movies, The Hidden Fortress and Rashomon. I remember having a tough time with Rashomon, but I was very young. The Hidden Fortress was a lot of fun. So now I have Yojimbo and Seven Samurai programmed in my instant watch. Uh, which one should I go for first? Black Dynamite. Finally watched it, and I have to agree with what I remember of Will's comments. I was totally underwhelmed. Yeah! <laughs> the problem was the really great black exploitation movies are not ironic by design. Black exploitation filmmakers were really trying to make quality movies and mostly succeeding. Black Dynamite was walking those movies while also trying to pay really sincere homage to them. It was a difficult balance. I admired the effort, but felt like it just didn't work. On Godard, you're right, Will, he's a pain in the ass. Very historically important, but not fun to sit through. I almost typed shit through <laughs> just now. Yeah. Chufo was the real master <laughs> of the new wave. He actually made movies, not dissertations on cinema. Last thought. Uh, I have a new nominee for the unconventionally but oddly bangable, Juliet Landau. I've been watching old episodes of Buffy, and she's one of the baddies. She was also in Edwood. Yes. More importantly, she's Martin's daughter. And here's the weird thing. She looks like her dad crossed with an insanely hot chick. Yes. <laughs> it's weird. I found her website. Am I nuts or is she weirdly hot? Okay, this is a ridiculous email. You don't need to read the whole thing on air, but hey, I won't stop you. Long live the gentleman, Dusty. I'm clicking on Juliet Landau's uh, website right now. Cause I'm gonna, I, I know I know what she looks like, but I'm going to see if I can get a glimpse here real quick. Yeah, she's... Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> She's uh, she's okay. I could see that. I think she does land in that kind of category where it um, becomes a very specific taste for a man if mm-hmm. uh, you're into her or not. He asked, uh, sh- uh, yeah, Yojimbo or Seven Samurai. I'd have to say you got to go Yojimbo first. I would agree only because Seven Samurai is such a spectacle. I think you start with the smaller film yeah. first. Well, I think Yojimbo is a great example of setting up samurai in general, and Seven Samurai is almost it's almost too much. Yeah. Uh, if you're you might be overwhelmed. Plus, I yeah. think if you was to follow Yojimbo with Seven Samurai, you might not find Yojimbo as impressive as it actually is. You I might agree. Know. Yep. Because he has a sheer spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's everything. Uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Next one is from Toby. 
and he writes, Stuart, A Life Backwards. Good evening, gentlemen. First of all, I want to say I enjoyed your recent Throne of Bread discussion. I, like both of you, hold Kurosawa and Mifuni in high regard, and Macbeth is my favorite Shakespeare text. So how could I not love this movie? Little William's contributions were cute. It didn't detract from Large William's fine analysis. <laughs> Another guy I'm a fan of as much as you gentlemen is Tom Hardy, one of the finest younger actors in our country right now. And in this email, I want to recommend you watch Stuart, A Life Backwards. I think it just aired on HBO mid-July, so you may have seen it already. But if not, seek out the DVD uh, on Amazon. It aired on BBC One or Two here about three years ago. Stewart stars Tom Hardy as a real-life homeless ex-convict, addict, alcoholic with muscular dystrophy and as an adaptation of Stewart's biography by the author Alex Masters, who became friends with Stewart whilst working at a homeless shelter in Cambridge and who came to the mutual decision with Stewart as they became friends to write a biography about his life. It is tragic, but also at times very funny and strangely uplifting, but an extraordinarily damaged, confused, intelligent and funny man in his relationship with the author. I'd recommend it to any fan of Tom Hardy. His performance is awesome, from moments of subtlety and tenderness to moments of extreme rage and distress. He's convincing and real throughout. I don't know about you guys, but I have a habit of rewatching particular scenes of movies I really like, especially certain performances, certain Pacino scenes in Dog Day Afternoon, for example, or more recently, Patty Considine in Dead Man's Shoes and Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. Performances that send shivers down my spine every time, and having only just gotten around to Stewart last night, I already know I'm going to be watching and rewatching certain scenes from that in the same way. So yeah, that's all. If you've seen it, I'd like to know what you think. If you haven't, check it out. Maybe work it into your roadmap in some distant future. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. Toby, Birmingham, England. Ah, he's a brummy. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know a couple brummies. Good guess. Um, yeah, um, I do find myself watching scenes. Uh, I, when I'm channel surfing, I'll come by a movie and stuff and... No matter what the quality of the movie, if I happened upon one of the scenes, I think this is kind of where the genesis of the make or break scene kind of came from. Is uh, you know those scenes that you can talk about, you know, and, and you know when I would have conversations with people and stuff, they would I would always talk about this certain scene or the scene I really liked and stuff, and that's where the genesis of that kind of came from. So I definitely watch scenes over and over again. I'm a I'm a sucker for when like you know one of those like a documentary about like a, a studio is on or something they just start showing clips from their great films i'm a sucker for that stuff I'm, i've always been a sucker for that kind of stuff well i actually am also a sucker for watching scenes over and over they tend to involve uh lindsey don mckenzie those of you in the uk will know who she is nice um and those of you who don't can probably gather what i mean by that um <laughs> but <Google>. all joking is <laughs> there's, there's google oh, if you don't <laughs> there's google and that's l-i-n-s-e-y <laughs> Uh, and uh, furthermore, no, but I, I totally get what he means because I think about certain scenes in films. Uh, I don't watch them, rewatch them as much, but I find I keep thinking about them in my head mm -hmm. I, and you know, over and over and over. And, and in essence, they become the, the meatiest part of the movie for me. And he mentions those films that all have great performances. And it's funny, he mentions the Stewart film because I was just talking to my dad about how much I absolutely adore Tom Hardy and how malleable he is as an actor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just based on some of the stuff he's done so far. So I'm, uh, I'm going to track this down because I, he is in, in amongst very small company uh, of my favorite actors uh, working in the world today. Yeah, he's very good. Very, very good. All right, uh, you want to you, you want to take a break? You want me to read one? Um, if you don't mind, I'm gonna have a sip on some coffee here. Get yeah. the old IV drip going. John uh, sent in a 
massive one here, so we'll get into it. All right, uh, this is from John. You met John recently, uh, face-to-face. We, we've known John for a while, but you actually yes. met him face-to-face what, last night? Yes, it was, and I do want to say, um, just in case I forget, you know what? I, I'm going to mention now because I'm, I'm sleep deprived, and I'll forget to mention it in the opening. Uh, I got to meet Chris McGee, the, the head honcho behind the uh, Shinsirai Film Festival here in Toronto, or the J Film Powwow, and uh, John, he, of course, coffin John of V Cinema fame. Um, they were heading down to Haosu for uh, a screening, which I'm going to tonight with Vishnu nice. and Uncool Cat. Um, and we had about an hour to kill. Uh, wasn't enough time, but we got to squeeze in a few pints and talk about film. It was a great time. And John actually got a picture that we'll, we'll post on the Facebook group. Uh, nice, nice. Time comes. Toronto's a hub of gentlemen, God goodness. Oh, it certainly <laughs> is. Man. All right. Uh, so John writes in. Uh, his uh, email's titled Throne of Blood. Hey, guys. Since I'm phoneless at the moment, I'm writing an email to you guys. My guess is that by the time you've read this message, I will have already met Mr. Large Williams since I'm in Toronto for the Shinsadei Cinema Fest. I hope I said that right, Shinsadei. I don't even know if I was saying it right, so I'm not going to correct you. Let's, if I don't think yeah, let's, right. just, <laughs> let's just go with it. Uh, which happened this past weekend. In passing, I will say that I had a great time at the festival and saw some really great films and shorts. I highly recommend that you guys try to review Confessions of a Dog, directed by indie film sensei Jin Takahashi, if when it becomes available. Uh, he actually posted this to you on Facebook, and I watched the trailer, and it looks fucking phenomenal. I got to check it out. You know how he described it, just to interject? He said he described it as this incredible house of cards that's built up over three hours yeah, it's- that sustains its tension, and then... This slight gust of wind comes and brings it all fucking down. He says an excellent. He says in the email here, it's an excellent three plus hour police drama, which was described as the Japanese Serpico, and whose last six minutes made an, me an emotional wreck. Very powerful stuff. Hmm. So anyway, if, if you call, I will arrive. I'm writing to you about your Throne of Blood episode, as you guessed I would. As soon as I heard Will pondering what sort of alliteration could be used for Kurosawa Fog, I quickly <laughs> stopped a rewiring job at work to message him. You can, in fact, say Kurosawa Kiri, uh, the latter word meaning fog in Japanese. Unfortunately, fog is not particularly common in Kurosawa's films, so I'm not sure whether Kurosawa Kiri deserves to be part of the gentleman vernacular, but it's there if you need it. Now, Kurosawa is more, I'll just say this while we're doing the email here, Kurosawa is more prone to rain than he is fog. He loves rain. Uh, one more relevant note I wanted to make about the film, and is one you two briefly mentioned. I will try to decontextualize. Oh man, it's a hard word to say this morning. Decontextualize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the scene since mentioning it within context could be a spoiler. Uh, you know, John, he he he's an educated man, and he he, he can tell. <laughs> and uh, I love the guy, but man, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, the protagonist sees what he believes to be moving trees. <clears throat> since I've seen this movie a million times. I've always marveled that this scene must have cost a lot of money and manpower to achieve. After all, cutting down trees just for a three-second scene is not easy work. Instead, I learned fairly recently this scene was actually done with miniatures, and the effects person was none other than the late, great Eiji Tsuburara. <laughs> I, I can't say that name, Will. Do you want me to try? I was actually trying to find, still trying to find the Steward of Life Backwards uh, DVD somewhere, and it's not on zip. Um, give us about five seconds. Tsuburara? Tsuburara? Wow. Uh, uh, oh, um, E.G. Uh, E.G. Su, uh, excuse me. Uh, I.G. <laughs> I.G. Subaraya. Okay. Subaraya. Good job. That's as good as that's as close as I can. <laughs> <laughs> I think I almost bought one of his cars and. Uh, 
in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> the name, this name might not be a household, but Mister, you know who has the visual effect was the visual effects master who gave life to Godzilla, as well as many other fifties kaiju monsters. In addition, he did the effects work for the earlier Ultraman show, so many of our generation know his work, if not the man himself. I'd say most people know his work more than his name. I guarantee you that. If anyone's interested in knowing more about Mr. T, there we go. Yes. Check out the book uh, IGT, Master of Monsters Defending the Earth with Ultraman and Godzilla by August Ragon. It's exhaustively researched and an entertaining read. Anyway, gentlemen, keep 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 on doing what you do already do well. Thanks. Uh, That's from Coffin John from the V Summit Podcast. I might have made a mistake in offering to read that one. Uh, John, I love you, buddy. Hope to meet you sometime uh, myself. Uh, but thanks for the email. <laughs> I didn't make a mistake in passing that one off. <laughs> no, you did not. <laughs> but, uh, no, that's John, very cerebral, of course. And I can't find this steward of life backwards on Amazon.ca, on Zip.ca, or any other um, more gray area <laughs> sites. So, um, yeah, let me know, man. Uh, I need to find this. But anyway. Yeah, if uh, it's not, uh, let's see about maybe, uh, maybe getting a copy in the post. Yes. Um, so did you actually send yourself this, uh, voicemail from Emily that I replied to a reminder? Uh, no, what, it, what, what you did was, uh, when you replied to it, it came back, uh, and the voicemail was on the reply too. So I have the voicemail. Don't worry about that. So I just kept, oh, I just kept it on good. there. So you remember some of the stuff you wanted to talk about. Cause you put some notes on there. Some of the shit talking I'm going to do. Yeah. You're going to do a little uh, shit talking. You're going to piss shit. off somebody, but it won't be me. <laughs> That's okay. Good stuff. Okay, next one is from Ed. Ed says, I know who's better. Oh, by the way, I want to get back to this because this is topical. I don't think Mario Bava is better than John Carpenter, and that's going to piss some people off. But sorry, I'm just I'm not into Bava as much as uh, I am Carpenter. Uh, and as for Fukusaku, I've seen um, probably anywhere from five to six Fukusaku films. I'd love to see more. There's not enough time in the day. So I will not definitively say he's not better because the stuff I have seen of him from him is fucking incredible. Yep. Um, but the next person chimes in with his two cents on who's better than John Carpenter. Mm -hmm. And uh, he says, distinguished gentlemen, you put it a call. Who's better than John Carpenter? I have an answer. David Cronenberg. I loves me some John Carpenter, but let's be real here. David Cronenberg never made a ghost of Mars. <laughs> not saying he knocks everything out of the park, but unlike a lot of other masters of horror... He's resisted the urge to backpedal, <coughs> escape from L.A., and has evolved from gory body horror into psychological identity horror without losing his style, themes, and occasional ickiness of his older films. And he's a Torontonian. I don't <laughs> want to rail into Carpenter too much because he really is one of the all-time greats. I just feel the corner gets overlooked by the genre community now that his films are more mainstream. What do you guys think, Ed? I think that's what it really comes down to, doesn't it, is that Cronenberg's uh, kind of really gotten away from being a genre filmmaker. Uh, he still makes genre movies, but he doesn't make horror movies anymore. I think I think it's what we needed to make sure we. Can, I don't know if we that came through clear when we were talking about it. I think we were mostly talking about filmmakers who kind of stay within their genre. We're talking about Romero, Hooper, uh, Craven, those guys. The, that's why I said because the conversation kind of kind of stemmed from us talking about the quote unquote masters of horror. And uh, that's where it kind of came from. I think Carpenter's through line in that genre is the best. I, but I don't even want to say just horror because so much of his great output isn't horror. Big Trouble in Little China. Um, the thing is a melding of sci-fi and horror. 
Um, Escape I, from New York's not horror. Yeah, that's true. I'll, I'll agree with you because a lot of his stuff is. I mean, he. I mean, he makes a lot of different types of movies. Uh, I just I, him and Cronenberg. I just think it's two different worlds. Um, but if I'm gonna say and I'm gonna make an apples to apples comparison for me personally, I still much prefer Carpenter to Cronenberg. I love Cronenberg. I think he's an amazing filmmaker, and I'm glad that he's able to take his talents to a wider audience who can gain some newfound appreciation and maybe we'll see some of the interesting stuff he did mm-hmm. and things he had to say early on in his career. Yeah. And he's actually going to be headlining the Rumorg Festival of Fear this year. So kudos to them for landing him. Nice. And for thinking outside the box and not just and all with all due respect to these guys, not just getting like another kind of master of horror and, and getting one of the true masters of film because Cronenberg isn't one of just the best directors, uh, genre directors. He's one of the best directors working today. So um, I love Cronenberg, and he has, his output has gotten, I, I would say better. I will say better yeah. uh, as he's gone on, which is a rarity. Um, but I still prefer Carpenter's Heights versus Cronenberg's Heights, personally. If I had to choose between the two as well, I'd probably go Carpenter, but that's just because my instincts lie more in Carpenter's world than Cronenberg's. But I do love David Cronenberg. Yes, yes. But good. This is the kind of conversation we wanted. So yes. thank you for that, Ed. I'm Actually, you know what? When he When he sent that, he brought up Cronenberg, and I was like, ah. I started thinking about it. I was like, I wonder how come me and Will never brought up Cronenberg. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's one of those moments, you know. I was like, huh, I wonder why we didn't bring that up. Yeah, no, it's true, man. But Cronenberg is a master, to yes. be sure. No doubt. Um, we, just, uh, we just got the last one from Brian Higg. Uh, from, Brian, from Brian. I just call him Brian Higg. That's what he calls himself on iTunes. So. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say maybe B. Higg. <laughs> like that was his uh, yeah. his hip-hop name. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, this is his hip-hop name. <laughs> the Irish Gangster. Uh, the one, the one at the top. We're not going to. Re- that's for private privacy concerns. There. So. Let me uh, see which one you're referring to. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. But we'll yeah, we'll take that off the air. Mm-hmm. So you want to read the one from Brian? Or you want me to? Uh, I'll re- I'll read it. I'll just go ahead. I got it up here. Uh, okay. Gents, I uh, worship at the altar of Herzog, which I am hopeful you, along with many listeners, are disciples of the Germanic Germanic auteur that is Werner. If not, why not? Imagine my delight when I checked on the status of his latest project, My Son, My Son, What Have Ye Done, in which Michael Shannon kills his mother with an antique saber. <laughs> Willem Dafoe also stars as Detective Hot on His Trail. Brad Dorf and Udo Kier are there too, along with Chloe Svigne. Anyway, I was expecting to see the dates meander through festival after festival, but Lork's a lordy. It has a, I bet that sounds better in Irish than it does in uh, bluegrass, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> Uh, it has a DVD release for September the 14th. I hope this tickles your fancy as it tickles mine. Uh, safe in the knowledge we are all fancy ticklers. <laughs> it's almost like he's, it's almost like people are writing tongue twisters for me this morning. Yeah, I know. Have man. either of you seen The Missing Person? Film noir with Shannon as an alcoholic detective. Netflix instant watch. Cool beans. Brian. You know, I'm, I'm going to check out This Missing Person. I have not seen it, but uh, as you heard in the intro, I did see another Michael Shannon performance I loved this past week, so... Uh, I know which one it is. Yeah, and I adored it. Uh, <laughs> of course so. I know which one it is. I was involved in the intro. I didn't mean it like that, though. We recorded this for our first. So cryptic. <laughs> yes. You know, the, oddly, Brian, uh, you bring it up, my son, my son, what have you done? This is actually one of the ones we debated on seeing maybe at TIFF last year. Yeah, but it got kind of lukewarm um, response, and we're mm-hmm. like, again, let's try to get the bang for the buck. I think it, I think it opened at Venice, or was it Venice? I don't know, but he had this and Bad Lieutenant last year, and yeah, some of some people have loved this, and some people have not been so nice. I know that the cast alone 
makes me want to see it so bad it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some good, that's some good acting in there, man. And I love that this Missing Persons is also not on Zip. Yeah. Fuck's sakes. Well, if you get the Netflix Instant Watch pretty soon, maybe you'll be... Yeah. <laughs> I And to answer his question, I do dig Herzog. Uh, I know you dig Herzog. Um, I don't think there's any film fans I know who don't dig him, really. At least one of his films, anyway. You always talk, Sammy, about people you love to hear talk. Yes. And I think I've mentioned it before. <laughs> I love listening to Herzog talk because... He straddles the line between arrogance and he is brilliant, but arrogance and and um, and sort of uh, humble or modesty. It's yeah. bizarre. One moment he's he's just sucking himself off to know, and the next minute he's <laughs> he's terribly modest and uh, to the point of sounding sweet about it. And it's uh, and he's almost like it, a, he's almost like a satire of himself sometimes. Yeah, he's great, man. I fucking love him, even if. You know, and I was late to the Herzog game. I got to admit, man, but uh, but he's fantastic. Yeah, he's he's really he's really a great example of movie director who practices humility well. He really has no concern over what people think of his films or anything. And if they don't like him, he just moves on. He just you can just see nothing really bothers Herzog. He lives in the he lives in the world of Herzog. <laughs> and I love that, yeah, because he's a man of principles that he he adheres to his own principles. Like there was that documentary that was made about. He made a bet. I can't remember what the bet was. Where he said if he lost, he would eat his shoe, and yeah. he lost. And being a man of his word, he <laughs> boiled his shoe and ate it in a broth or something. So yes, disgusting. That's, that's incredible. Like... That's incredible. I love him for yeah. that. Yeah, he's he he is as as smart and everything else. He is the definition of that fine line between genius and madman. Yeah, <laughs> he's a little. He's right in there. There's a reason why he was best friends with Klaus Kinski. Yeah, <laughs> Kinski gets a lot of the bad reputation, but let's remember who his best friend was. Yeah, fucking puppet master was. Yeah. All right, so we have. Let me just count them up for you, Will. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen voicemails. I would say Sammy's back. Yes, <laughs> that's a lot of voicemail. Let's let's just go. Let's just let's just break into it and get going. Here we go. Voicemail number one. Hey, hey, gentlemen, this guy at the Midnight Cinema. This is Metal Mikey calling in once more, and I'm calling in before I enter my steam bath of a car. Although I'm sure that it would be appealing to many spaghetti sweaters to enter my car today. But I did listen to your Trepidos Punks and uh, the Doxun Rat movie. No offense to Rupert for his selection. I just can't remember the title right now. Uh, as always, an excellent job, and I can't compliment more how great a job Piccolo and Rupert are doing as guest hosts on the show. Now, just for some notes here, I hope sooner rather than later Piccolo does get a chance to look at Bruno Matai's rats. It, again, I've gone on and on on various shows about how much I love Bruno Matai movies, so this is definitely one for the ages. And oh my God, Will, you brought up one that I've not seen in years and I've only watched once because it was such a piece of shit. You know what that is? That's R-O-T-O-R. And if I'm uh, correct, is that the one with Burt Ward in it? You know, TV's <laughs> Robin. Oh, craziness. <laughs> but I did have notes on the actual movies, which is surprising because I haven't seen either of them. Although I really do want to see Trepidos Punks. After your description of the movie, I'm just like, yes, sign me in on this. I may even start bugging Cinema Day Bazaar for it myself. I would love to see this 
astonishing marvel of a Mexican biker movie. It just sounds great. <laughs> uh, but as for, again, the killer Canadian rap movie that just isn't coming to me right now, you were talking about, oh, yeah, isn't it funny how dachshunds are dressed up as rats? They're so terrifying. No, dachshunds by themselves are terrifying. I would say this right now, in a truncated story version, once house sat for my cousin, she had two dachshunds. Let me tell you, there's nothing more irritating, disturbing, and slightly terrifying as two very depressed dachshunds that miss their family so much that they're pooping all over the place. And I don't mean they're letting themselves outside to poop all over the place. They're actually crapping inside the house on each other. They were making me reach my breaking point here. It was insane. So, yeah, dachshunds, why aren't they a feature in horror movies? Uh, even thinking about the little wiener dogs now sends me into shaking fits. Anyways, yeah, another great episode, and I'm going to end my thoughts here, and I will talk to y'all later. All right, take it easy, fellas. Bye. Nice. Actually, uh, I own a dog that's uh, half Dotson, and uh, he does get quite nervous sometimes. Can I ask something? Uh, it seems like Dachshund, the pronunciation, has been in vogue for the past few years. I always thought they were called Dachshunds. Is that just, have I been pronouncing it wrong for years? I have no idea. <laughs> I say Dachshund, and I hear a lot of you Americans say Dachshund, and uh, I don't know. Uh, who knows? I, I, when I was a kid, my mom called them da- uh, Dachshunds, and I was like, that's, yeah, not, yeah. that's not what a Dachshund is, but I who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But uh, <laughs> hopefully you can get that, those poopy dachshunds uh, taken care of uh, once you get out of your sauna car. Yeah, and I can't, uh, yeah, they have the sauna car. No wonder the chest hair is growing all the time. And, yeah, uh, yeah I can't say enough to, for everybody to go to the Facebook group and check out the uh, picture. Because I just did uh, it. And I uh, love the uh, comments. <laughs> the, the tags? The tags are nice. <laughs> I actually just added a comment. You might want to check that out. Oh, I'm going to go back there and check it out right now. <laughs> All right. So, I'll hang on. We'll wait for uh, Will's reaction before we uh, jump into this next voicemail here. <laughs> I love that Rogers is so slow. Okay, here it comes. Notifications. The red one is up. I see that uh, the Phantom has commented on my photo. Let's see what it says. <laughs> Oh, God. Bry's working that nice uh, female Swedish mullet. Uh, yeah. yeah, he is. And I love Alex's taste in sweaters. <laughs> it's like the Kate and Alley of makeup artists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next voicemail. Hey, guys. It's Tom DJ calling you from Better in the Dark Laboratories out of Brooklyn. First off, I wanted to welcome Big Willie back. I just finished listening to Where'd I go? Throne of Throne <laughs> it's, Down. It's me. Uh, <laughs> He's got us confused. <laughs> and uh, I was glad. And Willie, you will be glad to know that I did watch the first three episodes of Misfits. I'm not quite sure what to make of it just yet. I still haven't come, really can come down on one side or the other. I will say that I think they handle the very the the very similar heroes like premise a lot better than heroes ever fucking could and uh your 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 buddy laura Sosha, i can't understand a damn fool word she says i really can't and i'm really good with english accents um and and, uh somebody i think needs to 
beat that Nathan kid in the face repeatedly <laughs> until he dies. Jesus. But when I understand, he's, that's not going to happen. But anyway, um, the real reason I had called was because we had a, 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 the continuing discussion of that crazy man, Abel Ferrara, a native New Yorker like myself. Um, I wanted to actually uh, come out actually in favor of what you were saying about King of New York. Because um, I own it. I bought the special edition that came out some time ago when they, uh, the two discs with the special bizarro um, bio, uh, biographical feature that they did as a second disc where I don't think Abel wanted to be involved with. <laughs> but um, it's funny because. Probably. <laughs> I don't want, I can't get through it. These days, I just cannot get through it. And I think part of the reason is. It's perhaps the most mainstream of all of Abel's features. It's, it's the one that just doesn't feel like an Abel Ferrara film. All these other films that I love of his, you know, um, whether it's, you know, Ms. 45, or it's The Bad Lieutenant, or uh, what the heck was that name of that? So, you know, uh, the, 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 the one... With Tom Berenger, where you know it's set in uh, Times Square, and for the life of me, I can't. Fear City, Fear City, that's yeah, nice, the one nice. which I absolutely adore. Or China Girl. There is a definite sense that something is just off, even in the most ordinary way. That you're basically looking at this world through the eyes of a freaking lunatic. And let me tell you something. Yeah, I live here in New York where he lives, so I get, we get occasional reports of his misbehavior, <laughs> like the time he threatened to fight uh, people at the uh, New York Film Festival uh, when King of New York was first, was first uh, premiered <laughs> at Lincoln Center, or, of course, the time when, because, you know, I used to work for Fango, uh, Fangoria Magazine, and at one time we had him as a guest to... Uh, promote the Body Snatchers remake that he made, and he basically spent the entire day talking about, boy, you guys are geeks. I bet you, you're a Martian, right? Uh, I bet you never, I never saw you, uh, you know, I bet you never saw a woman before, have you? You know, just being really nasty and not really wanting to talk to these, to the, the movie oh, fans. Man. It was very, very strange, but I lo that's why I love him. I respect him for that, for being who he is, and I gotta say, I, one of my favorite things that he's ever done is from one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I think it's the second, my, my second favorite TV show, second only to The Avengers, the old uh, British TV show, namely Crime Story. That pilot he did, uh, especially when you take into consideration that it was done for network television, is hard and it's nasty and it's rough and it's rude and there's that one moment where you know, uh, when Torello Torello ducks into the, the the one guy's Cadillac just as they're about to make their getaway, they've got hostages, and he says, "If you harm every any one of their these hostages, you uh, 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 a hair on their head. I'm going to find what it is that you love the most, whether it's your dog, your <laughs> grandmother, your, your 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 wife, and I'm going to kill it." Jesus. And you believe every single word. I love that series so freaking much. But uh, anyway, once again, Willie, welcome back. It's great hearing you. And Where'd you go, Will? I guess I'll talk to you again soon. Peace. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. I, I know that you met Sammy, not Willie, but the, that's okay. Um, 
he brings up some good uh, some good stuff about Ferrara, and you know, I never really thought about it, but he is kind of right. You know, King of New York really is, in a lot of ways, one of his more mainstream, if not maybe his most mainstream movie. Uh, the funeral, I think, is 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 reasonably straightforward as well. Although I I love the funeral infinitely more than King of New York. Yeah, the only problem with the funeral is I don't think it has a cast where people would actually pursue it as much. It does have Which Christopher Walken because uh, it does have Walken. Sorry, it does have Walken, doesn't it? Yeah, he's it has a- Walken, and it has Vincent Gallo, who I think was incredible in it, and Chris Penn was great in it. Yeah, Chris Penn was really good in it too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I can I can do an Abel Ferrara impersonation actually. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if I, I should do it. I don't know if I should I do it or not, should. but I can do one. Yeah, I think you should. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. I'll save it for another time. <laughs> but it's it's uh this uh, you know yeah another time another time here we go. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Appreciate that. Uh, next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, you guys. It's Miles here. Um, rather disgusted by uh, <laughs> by Big Will's lack of knowledge of the synonym and antonym. Uh, no, um, I'm just kidding. But since you since you sort of asked, I'll tell you that a synonym is something that is similar, uh, and an antonym is something that is the opposite of. Um, that's it. I figured I would call since I got a shout out for uh, for being a grammar Nazi. <laughs> anyway, I'll uh, talk to you guys later. It's uh, it's great to have Sammy back, and congrats again, my friend, on the baby. Uh, all right, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. All right, that was a good friend of the show, Miles. And grammar Nazi, Miles. Actually, I don't want to say his last name. Oh, maybe he says his last name. He may not care, but regardless, yes. <laughs> I'm glad he uh, he stepped up to the plate for that. He, um, I knew he listened to the show because he texted me. As soon yeah. as uh, I put the show out on Tuesday, and I was at work, and then I got a text that said, ha-ha, it is a synonym. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's Miles. <laughs> uh, he called back here. Hang on. Hey, guys, it's Miles again. Um, I had to call in because Little Willie's Hi, Dad, Dad was one of the funniest <laughs> and cutest things that I've heard on a podcast ever. And um, it was it's actually the first time I've laughed out loud while listening to a podcast in a while. So I wanted to thank Big Willie and Little Willie for that. Um, it was very cute. Um, anyway, you guys should uh, try and uh, maybe get him to describe something that he's seen lately, um, because I think that would be supremely entertaining. Yes. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm glad everyone's dug that. I, I truly have because you know you and I talk about it, Sammy, off the air. As much as we're we're proud parents now, you you don't want to be overbearing about it. <clears throat> um, and the fact that I had to chase my son around the room while reviewing a movie, <laughs> I'm glad that we have the kind of great listeners. And a lot of a lot of our listeners are parents or have friends that are parents. And I'm just glad that everyone kind of you know knows the score and knows. Obviously, family comes first, and I can't very well. Yeah, you know, lock him up in a playpen while I'm recording. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll put him back I'm, in the I'm, cage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's suspended, you know, two feet off the ground or something. You know, I just I'm really happy that uh, <clears throat> that everyone digs that. So yeah. thank you, and and I'm glad that Show Show recorded um, an episode. Although I didn't get to hear anything except breaks and an intro, but <laughs> I know Miles fixed that, and I kind of yeah. bugged him about it. So. The uh, the truth is, though, Miles, is that uh, I say hi, Dad, Dad, all the time to Will. I just edit them all out. <laughs> yes, but then of course, you know, um, uh, Rick. Uh, I guess I can say that you, it's been said before. Bangs his chest over me sometimes. Says, "I'm the daddy." <laughs> yes, I'm the daddy. 
Yes. All right. Uh, next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, gentlemen. It's Zeke again. I am calling uh, about halfway through listening to episode 91, and I'm loving it and uh, cracking up at Little William's antics. And I just had to call to uh, really give a, a, a round of applause to, to large William. I usually listen to the Gentleman's Guide to learn something about movies, something new, and, you know, I've learned something about uh, being a father because he, his uh, patience during that was uh, just incredible. <laughs> it was. I am now dubbing him Large Gandhi. All right, uh, so I'm going to listen to the rest of the episode, loving it, and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye. Large Gandhi. That's kind of a, that's kind of, that's another, what's, what's the literary, what's, that's a paradox. I know, what was that? <laughs> what is a Large Gandhi? He didn't eat, did he? And so I don't know if he'd be a Large Gandhi, so. I, I do want to say again. I'm I'm humbled. I'm flattered. I'm truly touched that that people, uh, you know, they, they they find that stuff sweet and heartwarming. I truly am Zeke. I, I I can't thank you enough for the words, man. It it really means a lot. And I can't wait for William to be what eighteen or nineteen or you know older. And I can see look what Dad did. And here's you running around. It's just it captured that moment and something that you know it's captured forever now. And it it's. Yep. Uh, Yep, it is captured forever. Yeah. I keep uh, I keep every one of our episodes on a hard drive, and uh, that stuff's captured forever. Yeah, uh, that'll be good. great for him. It'll be horrible for me. <laughs> not not to listen to him, but to go back and listen to us, my voice in the beginning. I especially we we've actually talked about this off the air, guys. Our first episode, me and Will always talk about how shaky we were at the beginning of the first episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I loved it. It's like it's Big Willie. Hey, Samurai, how you doing? That's okay, man. We yeah. rode through it. We're almost at 100 now. Yeah. <laughs> Onwards and upwards. All right. Next voicemail. Gentlemen, it's Scott in Toronto calling. Uh, excuse my voice. Had a late night last night. My wife had a meeting of her wine club. I, mean, oh, I should say hey, hey. book club. And uh, yeah. kept me up all night. My kids were up very early. So I'm just getting my first sip of coffee. Um, congratulations to Samurai on your baby boy. That is absolutely wonderful news. I remember when my son was born, I was never happier, except for when my daughter was born <laughs> uh, a bit later. Uh, so that's wonderful. Uh, Landon is a terrific name, great choice. It's funny. Most people probably assume, you know, when they think of Landon, they think of Landon Donovan or maybe even Michael Landon. First thing that comes to my mind is the lobotomized astronaut from Planet of the Apes. Nice. Anyhow, that's that's uh, <laughs> just me, I guess. A little sad. Happy to see um, Sammy's return, the return of the Louisville Lothario. <laughs> but I did think that Rupert and Piccolo did a fantastic job, and uh, Will, kudos to you for transitioning them in so well. Rupert's interviews are also uh, excellent. Love the Joe Dante one. That guy is just fascinating. Kind of wish I had an uncle like that or something. Oh, yeah. You talk to John Waters um, would be uh, it was interesting. I'd like to see you maybe cover John Waters' movie or two. I've always found the man more uh, entertaining than his movies. Uh, I'd kind of rather watch a John Waters interview than a John Waters movie for some reason. Um, and my all-time favorite favorite Simpsons episode is the one uh, where he guest stars. It just cracks me up to this day, no matter how many times I watch it. So um, maybe some John Waters down the road. Anyhow, keep up the good work, guys. Uh, Will, I don't know if you're ever downtown or in the High Park area, but if you are, drop me a line, and uh, I'd love to buy you a drink or seven. Okay, cheers, guys. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. Seven, Large William. 
Nice. Well, I actually uh, thank you for that. Uh, I work near High Park, uh, although uh, I couldn't really cut down after work for a drink only because of um, the hours I work. But I would love to take you up on that. Uh, you buy me a few, I'll buy you a few, and uh, we'll get to it. Um, gosh, I wish I I had a thought. I could have contacted you to see if you wanted to come see Houseu with me and Vishnu <laughs> and, and uh, Chris downtown. Um, yeah, maybe hit us a message or friend me on Facebook, uh, and we'll we'll get together. Absolutely, I would love to. It, it's great talking with. Uh, Yes, like I was saying last night, talking with like-minded, passionate people, cinephiles. So, yeah, and if I get yeah. back up there, Scott, uh, I'll make sure uh, I remind Will. We'll all hook up and stuff. I got to meet Vish yeah. last time, but uh, did get to be Chris. But I don't know if Chris was listening to us at the time when I was up there. That's been a year ago. Don't know if those are the for those of you in the Toronto area that are curious. I will not be making it to TIFF this year just due to the baby being born and stuff. It's just not. Good timing, unfortunately, and uh, it saddens me. But uh, you know, at the same time. It is what it is, you know. I got a little. It's the best reason to not attend. <laughs> I got a, I got a slight thing called a commitment, just a little bit of a commitment <laughs> that well, I got to, you know, I got to stick to here. <laughs> yes, yes, that and the fact that you have to uh, attach the carriage to the motorcycle for Landon. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, no, good. Uh, well, Landon, it's funny. Somebody's asked me if they can call him Lando uh, because they, you know, they know a movie. Uh, for, they know I'm a movie freak. And, of course, you know, when they think about somebody that's a movie geek, the first thing they think of is the films that, you know, everybody loves. And, uh, you know, everybody, you know, most everybody likes Star Wars or loves Star Wars. And uh, so they immediately said, well, you, are you going to call him Lando? Do you name him after Lando Calrissian? I'm like, no, not really. But uh, I could go that route, I guess. You know, I did like I did like Lando Calrissian. He's a great character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, gents. It's Emily. Um, of course, I wanted to start with a hearty welcome back to that Kentucky Fried slice of goodness known as the Samurai. Yeah. Um, of course, hearty congratulations, and it's good to hear your voice again. Uh, not just on the voicemail line, but also on the show. Uh, <laughs> the other thing, just wanted to comment on the point that I think um, Large William raised when talking about Piccolo's dislike of Kurosawa, and that sort of... Um, the sense that there maybe there are some directors that you know are great, but you just can't connect to. Uh, and I'm curious what the, who those are for you guys and for other people as well. For me, um, it's Michael Mann. I think he's a very good technical director, but I there are very few films I would least rather watch than a Michael Mann film. Um, it, it the films just are don't connect to me in any way, and I'm really bored watching them, and I just never, ever have a desire to put one on. Um, but I know he's a good director. I just can't. Um, and the other one I'd say is Terry Gilliam for me, but I think Terry Gilliam is its more because I, I don't think he's as great a director as... Yeah, I think he's just a very messy director, and his films annoy me as opposed to um, impressing me. I guess that's what that comes down to. But I'm curious for yours, and um, don't hate me for not liking Michael Mann or Terry Gilliam. Bye. All right, so that is a good point. Uh, this this brings up a good. This is something actually that I think large women I've talked about a long time ago, and uh, we've always talked about this about uh, film fans. There's there always seems to be directors that either you just can't connect with, or you just don't understand the love or anything. So uh, let's see what you got to say, large women. You there, largely? All right. Yeah, I just had to take a sip of coffee. (laughs) Here we go. Here's some filmmakers uh, I either hate or think are average or think are overrated. I'll tell you as I go with Steven Spielberg. Hate. Michael Mann. 
above average nor near the fucking auteur and genius that everyone makes him out to be. I love later Terry Gilliam work, but I don't like early Terry Gilliam work. And the reason being is I fucking dislike. Here we go. I'm going to get some shit for this one. (laughs) Monty Python. Don't like it at all, man. Don't fucking like it. Uh, Seijin Suzuki, I well, he's stylish and he's he's cool. I think he's a little overrated, personally. Uh, Godard, I've been very cold on the stuff I've seen of his so far. I also prefer Truffaut, like uh, Dusty referenced and referenced earlier. Woody Allen, um, I liked more when I was younger. Ironically, as I get older, I don't know if it's because I can't distance myself from his fucking personal life. <laughs> fact that he married his uh his stepdaughter or if it's him i have to revisit his films i think to give him a fair shake but uh right now i want to say fuck off woody allen so there's my list that's your hopefully you can create a shit storm like that <laughs> well i i don't know if i really can uh i mean I've, I've said most of the directors i don't really like throughout the show i mean it's not that i don't like them i just don't appreciate a lot of the stuff they do now uh you know i've said the dario argentos and all those guys uh that one's the only one i really ever get shit for I will say one that I might get shit for. I think uh, Mike Nichols is overrated. I don't think yeah. I don't think Mike Nichols is a very good filmmaker. I think he made The Graduate and then Carnal Knowledge, and that's about it. I agree with that. Um, Sidney Pollack, I don't think he was a good filmmaker. He was a better actor than he was a filmmaker. I would also agree with that. Uh, so usually those are the kind of guys. Barry Levison, I don't think he's a very good filmmaker. I think he's you know, average. <laughs> I think Diner's terribly overrated. I think it's good, but I mean, people trumpet the praise. Like it's, it's just, good. It's, it's, it's good. It's good, not great. Yeah, it's good. It's not great. Uh, but I, I don't think he's the greatest either. I mean, I, most of mine really kind of fall into that category. Uh, I, I, I don't really. I think that all filmmakers. I think you either like something about the way they tell stories, or you don't. And, you know, some people can identify with that. I know some people don't like Scorsese. Some people don't like. Uh, you know, I meet people all the time who don't like uh, Kubrick. Uh, I mean that one. That one comes up a lot. Um, you know, I mean, it just it it happens, and uh, that's just the way it goes. But I think that's because you know we're looking at an art form that's made by humans for humans. It's going to be fallible, and and for some people, it's going to be a miss. And uh, I think that's just the way it goes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I really can't. I can't think of any really off the top of my head though that would really cause a shitstorm. I'm trying to think of one, but I cannot. Hmm. The only one that ever really causes me shitstorm is that I think uh, I always th- I always tell people this, and this always pisses people off that I think Psycho is an average movie. <laughs> I think it's oh, I would disagree with you, but that's yeah. That's- I, if I had to rate Psycho, and this is where I would, could get in trouble. If I had to rate Psycho, it might get a six. Mind you, I'm not like in the nine category. I mean, to me, it's like a seven point five, maybe an eight. It's not yeah. like a ten or nine or. Anything. But yeah, his, his his psycho. I'm not. A, I've never been a big fan of psycho. Actually, when people were like, Gus Van Zandt's doing a shot for shot remake of a masterpiece, I'm like, no, he's doing a shot for shot remake of an average film. So <laughs> it's not that big a deal. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> I took a lot of shit for that, but you know, hey, it is what it is. But I I, I do think that I do think that uh, to each their own. I mean, uh, that's what that's what this thing is. I mean, there's some painters I like more than other people. There's comic book artists I like that other people hate. Mm-hmm. And filmmakers are the same thing, you know. They're storytellers, and some of them are better for some people than others, you know. Yep, just it's the way it goes. Absolutely. All right. Um, next one. Oh, and by the way, I I, I also like Terry. I, I like Terry Gilliam, but I can totally understand why Terry Gilliam rubs people the wrong way. He's 
at the very least, nobody can argue that Terry Gilliam isn't a unique filmmaker. Uh, talented is arguable, but unique is not. He's bizarre in some way that uh, I can't even imagine or understand. All right, uh, next voicemail. Familiar voice. Hey, Sammy, I was disappointed in last week's show when you failed to mention that you were at the Lebowski Fest in, Lebowski Fest in Louisville, Kentucky a couple weekends ago. <laughs> The reason I know you were there, I saw your picture on the internet, and I posted it on my Facebook. So I was wondering why you weren't, why you didn't talk about like how it was and what went on. I know you're a big fan of the film, and I am too. I guess I can understand maybe why you didn't talk about it, probably because you were trying to keep it on the down low, because it looked like you were having a really good time. I mean, I love that t-shirt you had on, the one that said, I love pot. That was a nice touch. Now, the other thing I want to talk about, everybody's calling up saying that the GGTMC is the most virile podcast in the Internet world. Well, that might be true, but you guys got a long way to go to catch up to the hat. <laughs> Nobody brings a load like the hat. <laughs> I had more kids before I was 20 than anybody else in my class. You're my favorite part. That's pretty impressive for a white guy. <laughs> my nickname in high school was Sean Kemp. I'm not kidding about that. Oh, shit. So you guys got a long way to go to catch up to the hat. But at least you can have fun trying. I'll catch you guys later. Peace. Well, thank you, Mr. Kemp. We appreciate the voicemail. That's oh, awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. I laughed the first time I heard it. Uh, yeah, well, the reason why I didn't bring up I was at the Basky Fest is that it was my shirt. I love pot. I totally forgot I even went to the damn thing. You saw the picture he was referring to, I presume. <laughs> yes, I did see it. Lebowski Fest is a big deal here in Louisville. Um, uh, the guy that's based on Lebowski comes here every year, and Jeff Bridges has been here a few times. Uh, it's like a big deal. It's like the uh, I think we I think uh, Louisville actually has the world's biggest uh, Lebowski fan club. It's very weird, very weird uh, kind of uh, you know thing for Louisville to have. It's very strange, but hey, it is what it is. Uh, all right, so moving on from uh, the massive load blower. To, uh, <laughs> I thought I, I thought you know being a football fan he'd fancy himself more of a Travis Henry kind of guy, but eleven children by ten different women. But <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> that's awesome. The hat always bringing the pain and the load. Here we go. And the yogurt roach. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> old Pennsylvania Dutch. Here we go. Here we go. Next voicemail. Who's the daddy? What a privilege, chance, uh, I have to say, that I get to program uh, GG, uh, Trilogy GTMC. So I chose Alan Clark, Trilogy, well, actually, uh, Quadrilogy, uh, if you include Elephant, and I hope you've had a chance to watch that. Uh, I think it's uh, great that he had the balls to stand up and, and uh, you know, shoot a film like that in Belfast during the Troubles, you know, to, to really draw attention to it. Um, I love Scum, you know, it's just, uh, with Alan Clark, you know, he just his, his gritty realism and um, just how he can convey, you know, really what's happening in, in real world Britain uh, during the during the days. Um, I remember with Scum, um, it was a made-for-TV film, and uh, there was a borstal uh, around the corner from me, and I remember my dad used to sit me down to watch Scum and, you know, say, you better be a, a good lad, sunshine, or you'll be running to the borstal, you know, obviously being so young, uh, believe in him, um, <laughs> kept me on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Uh, made in England. Um, that just shows what the skinhead sort of um, mentality was, uh, but along with Thatcher's Britain and, um, you know, being on the door and all the um, unemployment. I remember the, um, 
Thatcher had a nickname was uh, Thatcher the Milk Snatcher because she took away free milk uh, at school dinners at school to save a bit of money. Um, pretty bad times. Um, and then, of course, you've got um, the farm. You know, it just shows, you know, Americans all think that the greatest sports uh, rivalry is the Red Sox and the Yankees, but you need to be going to see a, a, a Celtics Rangers match or a Ajax Feyenoord match or a, a Tottenham Chelsea match back in the days to see what real rivalry was. You know, if you can't even enter the same, same through the same door to the ground, um, and then the fights after that were pretty shocking. So a couple of um, uh, companion pieces. You know, you can't go wrong for for scum. You know, it really defined Winston's career. So you should maybe check out. Nail by Mouth, which was actually like semi-autobiographical of um, Gary Oldman, and uh, Winston obviously stars as his father, which is a uh, a good, nice, uh, depressing film That's to watch. A brutal flick. Um, or made in made in England. You should look at This Is England. Shane Meadows. You know he's another classic director from the Britain. Film. Yep. And then for um, the farm. Maybe try ID. ID is a good one, but I know it's uh, pretty hard to find. So uh, uh, thanks a lot again, and I'm really excited to see, well, to hear what your thoughts on um, Britain in the 80s was. Happy days. Ta-da. All right. So, you know, he knows what we thought of the films because we reviewed them already. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he brings up some good stuff. Uh, Nil by Mouth, I mean, that's, that's a brutal movie. It's fucking one of the most depressing movies I've ever watched, ever. I, I haven't seen it. I've, uh, again, one I've always meant to see. It's interesting, you know, Gary Oldman. I think he, I think he directed that one. Yes, he did, and uh, Ray Winstone starred in it. So it all kind of comes back together there, in a weird way. And and it's funny now, having seen this Clark stuff, I can see how influential it was on Shane Meadows. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, next voicemail. Another one from Brian. Gentlemen, Brian here again. Uh, I've just been thinking, wondering, you know, because um, obviously you two are wild passionate about film and filmmaking along with myself, and I'm sure the majority of, our, of the listeners are as well. And I was just thinking, you know, um, maybe if you've ever dipped your toe into the into the filmmaking world, you know, ever been an extra on a, on a, on a film or, you know, tried to write a screenplay or, you know, just, just tried to help out in a short, you know, around the town. Because, you know, there's nothing, as, as far as I am, you know, the little um, intermediate producer of the 48-hour film festival, but... You know, there's nothing like being in a crowded theater and getting an applause for your little short film that you've just worked so hard on. You know, it doesn't matter about the money, about the pay, but, um, and you know, as you can see in the 48-hour films that I sent over to you, you know, there's some pretty decent good little films in there that were made with no budget and, uh, you know, in the space of 48 hours. But again, there's a load of shit too, but uh, the good <laughs> ones certainly outweigh the crappy ones. Um, so I thought perhaps the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema might like to do their own Little Film Festival. You know, if anyone's interested out there, I myself would certainly like to um, throw something together. Uh, I'd like to see you two throw something together and see what, what you can come up with. And then maybe, you know, give us a couple of months to get the the submissions up on YouTube, and then we can have like a like an all-round vote to see who can make, you know, see if we can make some good old silver classics or anything. So just a thought, you know, so maybe might be cool. Happy days. Ta-da. That's an interesting, uh, interesting uh, proposition there. Yes, uh, <laughs> it definitely is. I, I would love to. Uh, sorry, before I go into it, Sammy, do you want to say your piece on? Well, I'll just say that I don't know if YouTube allows penetration, so I think I'm out. 
<laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> or maybe I'm in. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. And I did have one job on one film set. I got hired as Peter Norris Fluffer, and I didn't know what Fluff. that was, but I found out very quickly, and then I left. <laughs> I had cottage cheese on my face, so I had to get out of there. <laughs> like, what's this Fluffer business? Oh, no, I'm not putting that in my mouth. <laughs> Uh, no, that's all I got. Uh, no, I think it's a it's a good idea, but uh, you know the logistics of it and stuff. Uh, somebody have to head it up. I'm a little busy nowadays. Also, obviously Brian would take on a lot of the responsibility. Sounds like, but I would hate to put too much work on Brian's plate. Yeah, I would like to do it too. Uh, I think it's something that I would love to keep on the burner uh, for you know. I, I'm not actually, the I'm actually, feature, but I would actually be curious as to how many of our listeners actually are amateur or independent filmmakers i know a few of them are yeah a few of them are uh, he asks if we've been involved i uh, i took drama all through high school i enjoyed it um I had a few lead roles and plays uh which i enjoyed you were I the you were the lead in cruising right i was uh <laughs> cruising the high school musical it was good um nice you know you did a little of the singing in the beginning of that show you know who's here yeah. I'm here. Yeah, we're here. Um, but uh, I never really took it beyond that. I always wanted to go to film school, admittedly, but I yep. think, uh, you know, uh, coming from a lower middle class family, my, my parents always encouraged whatever I wanted to do and supported what I wanted to do, but I felt that I needed to put food on the table. Uh, yep. And I, I got paranoid that I wasn't going to have a career and be able to support myself and the family I knew that would come. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I abandoned that and um, got to more practical manners. I also went to firefighting school. So blah, 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 blah. Long story short, I haven't really done much other than stage stuff. Um, I've encouraged one of my closest friends, who you know, actually, Spiros. He, he went to film school, and sadly, he's he's not done much with it. Um, I've, I've tried to push him along and encourage him, but it's uh, hasn't been of too much help, unfortunately. It's a shame. It's a, it's a risk. I admire anybody that sticks to it and sticks to their guns. It's uh, anybody that wants to be, you know, I, I followed my musician dreams uh, when I was younger, and it didn't work out. And I don't regret that. For a long time, I regretted it. I thought, you know, I made a mistake. I should have already went to school and, and all these things. But as I get older, I realize it was a precious time in my life. And it was crazy. I didn't have any commitments outside of feeding my own fat face. So... I wasn't hurting anybody, and it was a it was a good time, you know. But at the time when I came back, I remember thinking, you know, I should have done something else with my life. But you know, I was you know, if if it would have paid off, uh, you know, I I could have a rock a love bus right now, you know. Well, that or <laughs> or a bang bus. I mean, it's, it's the kind <laughs> hey, of career it is. I've been a member since the beginning. All right, uh, <laughs> let's get on to our next voicemail. Here. Oh, here we go. Hey, Big Willie, hey, Samurai, this is Don Leather Jacket Buddha. Uh, I forgot on last week's voicemail to uh, ask you if you guys have seen Medium Cool. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I can't remember at this point who covered what and when and where. But uh, if you haven't seen Medium Cool with Robert Forrester, it's fucking phenomenal, fantastic. And, uh, you know, I know your guys' taste, and uh, it's right up your alley. If you haven't seen it, Medium Cool, it's out of print, uh, but you can find it by, uh, by looking, if you look good enough. Uh, but I highly suggest you check it out. It's definitely a nice. sign of the times. Uh, good snapshot of the era it was shot in. I think it was the late 60s. But uh, check it out. Medium cool. Uh, take it easy. Have a good weekend. Bye. 
Yeah, that was a uh, good old Don uh, Leather Jacket Buddha. I have seen Medium Cool. I love Medium Cool. Have you ever seen Medium Cool? No, I have not. Again, being a Forrester fan, I've always wanted to. Uh, I made a point to look for it, as he said. Um, yes. <laughs> and I will be watching it sooner rather than later. The, the story, actually, when you do watch after you get done watching it, read up about it. Because the story behind Medium Cool is as interesting as the film itself, too. So, good oh, wow. stuff. Good stuff. All right. Next voicemail. Well, hello, dear gentlemen. This will be Metal Mikey leaving in my thoughts on yet another late episode, but oh well. This would be for the Coke and Dagger and Tango and Cash episode, which makes him sound like one big super team. But anyways... I have to wonder if Mikey even knows I'm back yet. Again, I can't compliment enough the <laughs> tremendous work that Pickleloaf and Rupert did for filling in for Samarek, who I know has returned. No, there we the go, show. there we go. I've yet to get to that episode. <laughs> But first, you know what? I do really like the review you gave for Cloak and Dagger because, like it was mentioned on the show, I think Cloak and Dagger was my first ever exposure to Dabney Coleman. And, you know, I get the weird impression. I haven't seen the movie in years, but I get the really bizarre impression it would make an excellent double bill with War Games. Nice. And I couldn't help but make the note of Dabney Coleman as a mustache video game avatar. Could it possibly be that Dabney Coleman also inspired a certain Mario and Luigi? Who knows? And, you know, me, the host of Action Attraction, what do I got to say about Tango and Cash outside of the fact that I have a massive man crush on it? The movie is just so astonishingly macho. <laughs> and I will say for your comments on uh, Terry Hatcher's script routine in the movie, come on, I would drop money down for a drumming solo set for a uh, stripper. And you know what? You mentioned the fact that sitting in a chair backwards was such a sign of the badass. Well, you know what? Sometimes I sit in chairs sideways, so does that mean I'm starting up a new <laughs> badass trend myself? It does. <laughs> and oh, later on tonight, I'll get back to you on the contents of the Italian crime set I picked up. But I do recall the set was called Big Guns. And I know one of the films on it was Long Arm of the Godfather. That was actually the first one I watched, and I really enjoyed it. But, again, excellent job from Rupert and Piccolo, and, of course, you, William. And cannot wait to hear the triumphant return of Daddy-O Samaric. <laughs> and I will talk to you all again soon. All right, take it easy. Talk to you later. Bye. Long Arm of the Godfather. Is that one of those Peter North movies again? Uh, apparently. <laughs> well, he mentions uh, Big Guns, and I thought he was talking about me, <laughs> Tiffany Tops. I mean, I don't know. Uh, nice. Kayla, Kayla Cups. Kayla Cups. There's a lot of them. <laughs> I'll tell you what, one of my personal guilty pleasures is, uh, I don't know if you know her or not, is uh, Ava Devine. I think I do. Let me just take a quick gander here at Ms. Devine. Very disgusting uh, porn, uh, star. <laughs> but uh, some, something she does, I don't know what it is. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, wait. You know what's so funny that you say that? <laughs> I never knew her name, and I always admired her work. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Wow, good call, Sammy. Yeah, yeah, just, I'm broadcasting to the world. <laughs> oh, boy, I don't even want... Yeah, I've seen her do some... Uh, yeah, she does some, some machinery. <laughs> I just, I don't want to get into this. She's, <laughs> done some, she's done some disgusting things. I might have just given away some of my proclivities. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> nice. All right, uh, well, we always talk about male porn stars. It's about time we talk about some female porn time, stars. Yeah, <laughs> about time we talk about the Sibian writing Ava Divine. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> and my Ford, my truck's got a Sibian motor in it. 
Thank you. Nice. <laughs> it's like, there we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, next voicemail. I'm on the line. My hips don't lie. I leave it back tonight for Pickle Off and Sammy, Rupa Popkin and Be Willie. You know I'm on the line. My hips don't lie. I leave it back tonight. GGGMC is so funny. It made me laugh. It hurt my belly. I'm on the line. My hips don't lie. I leave it back tonight. Boronauts fights cocks and can't speak. Boucher likes cocks and needs beat. I'm on the line. Doctor's on feedback. He's coming up. He's on the toilet reading Joseph Stalin. When he gets done, he wants to call in. And now, oh, ladies and gentlemen. Children this of all ages. Is Doctor's <laughs> Pause for effect. Hmm, gentlemen. <laughs> Where's Larry? Just got done mowing the lawn, and now that I'm hot, sweaty, and covered in a sleazy glaze of dirt and filth, <laughs> I wanted to call in to the Gentleman's Guide of course. to Midnight Cinema <laughs> and bring a little class to trash <laughs> with my stank. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have a question that I was pondering the other day that I wanted to pose to you, gentlemen. And that is between uh, Sammy and Big Willie and Nif Roop or uh, Piccolo or anybody else wants to uh, chime in. Who is the uh, best director uh, who became an actor? And I'm, talk- I'm not talking about like Robert Redford, who was an actor first, then became a director. I'm talking about a great or a good director who became a very good actor. Okay, other than that, uh, watched Wages of Fear. Uh, big fan of The Sorcerer, so I had to check this out. I really liked it. Didn't like the old German guy throwing rocks at the uh, fucking tied-up dog at the beginning. I wanted to knock his goddamn chicklets out of his <laughs> mouth. Uh, but it was a good movie. Chicklets. Uh, equal to Sorcerer. Uh, man, I can't believe how these guys made these slow-moving trucks that were only, in both movies, only going about five miles an hour. And I was literally sitting on my couch, going, you know, on the edge of my seat. Just the, the suspense was just freaking unbelievable. Okay, strange-looking people that I encountered this week was Nicolas Cage in Bangkok Dangerous, uh, the Ronald Reagan Black Boot uh, polished hair that was sort of a semi-mullet. Uh, his hump back, his hairy arms, and that big nose made him look like a giant buzzard. Uh, Natalie Portman in V for Vendetta. The girl looked like she absolutely had no shoulders whatsoever, and when she was walking around in her street clothes, looked like she probably weighed about 70 pounds. Uh, compared to how she looked in Closer when she was a stripper trying to tempt Clive Owen with her nice uh, booty? Uh, I don't get it, man. I don't know what was going on there, but she needed to eat a sandwich. Uh, Hannibal Rising? Oh, God, that was fucking horrible. And if I had to hear Gong Lee say, Hannibal, 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 five more times, I was about ready to fucking kill somebody like Hannibal and eat them. Uh, the guy that got to play Hannibal was freaking horrible. Uh, the movie Chloe uh, reminded me uh, that I'm getting old as shit because Amanda Seinfeld 
Siegfried or Siegfried. Uh, she just looked way too damn young, and it made me feel really guilty and almost like a pedophile. Liar. Tomu, uh, time out the time. Ooh. <laughs> that one had a little bit of orgasmic flavor to it. That one, uh, he sharded clearly. He gambled, he rolled the dice, and, yeah. he, and the cotton paid the price. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's in the uh, George Eastman peanut gallery there, the wet fart. <laughs> Literally the peanut gallery. I heard, I watched another movie this past week and somebody called somebody a wet fart. It might have been The Firm, actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, was it? No, I don't know. It might have been The Firm. Oh, I think it was, might, it might have been Made, made in Britain. It, made in Britain, yeah. yeah. The wet fart. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, okay, that's, that's a tough question. Best direct, director who became an actor. I'll be honest. I had to Google this because it's. <laughs> I, I couldn't think. Uh, That's pretty of tough. That's that, tough. What, what was yeah, some? Of the, what was some of the names you got? Mo, well, Woody Allen, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Well, I don't think. Uh, but, well, first of all, I don't think either one of those guys are good actors. I, I'll uh, say that. I don't think so either. <laughs> uh, I love Tarantino. Cassavetes, but he has a terrible actor. was an actor first. Mm-hmm. Cassavetes is a good actor, but he's a, yeah, you're right. He's a good actor first. Jacques Tati, but I don't know. Let's see. I don't know if he actually played the the Hulo role. I don't know if he directed first or acted first. Uh, Mel Brooks did he act? I don't know. See, some of these are the yeah, line was, is blurred between when he was a stand up stand up comedian maybe before. I was thinking of guys that um, clearly had a career as a director and then jumped into acting. That's more what I was thinking. David Cronenberg's one that does cameos. That uh, you know, yeah, interesting. It's it's really really tough. I. Uh, oh. I can, I can go back to Sidney Pollack. I thought Sidney Pollack was a better actor than he was a director, actually. So. Me too. So. Me too. Uh, Polanski was decent in a few films he cameoed in. John Waters, I wouldn't say as an actor. He's cameoed in things, <laughs> um, including a great Simpsons episode. Um, I don't want Eli Roth to be the winner of this category because he's because he's an, a worse actor than Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's pretty bad, yeah. It, it, it's 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 a tough one, man. It's a tough one. Uh, Who's the king here? Uh, Miles Boy, Tyler Perry. I mean, I don't know. Charlie Chaplin, maybe. Maybe yeah, that's a tough question. Anyone, let us know, man. Yeah, so I'd like to hear some thoughts on that. Uh, okay, last voicemail of the evening or the morning. Here we go, gentlemen. It's Mike. Um, just wanted to say how much I've been throwing a blood review. One of my favorite Kurosawa films. One of the first ones I ever saw, actually. Um, I think I saw Seven Samurai first, but. Uh, Throne of Blood, I took a literature and film class my first semester in college, and I saw this, and of course, uh, Polanski's Macbeth, and we, you know, talked about it, and all that nonsense, but yeah, really, getting to see it on a big screen in the auditorium there where we took this class was pretty cool, Um, and I love that fog, man, that that fog in that movie is unbelievable, how they did that, I don't even, I don't even want to guess, because it's just, it's, it's magic to me. Um, as far as like you guys were talking last week about directors and, and, you know, the horror directors and between all those guys that came out of the seventies, who was number one, you know, you guys said Carpenter probably had the best run. And I agree with that. And having just done a show on Romero on the podcast and dreaded sundown, which of course you can download from sundownpodcast.com. Plug. Um, nice. Uh, you know, he did some pretty great stuff too. But what happens to these guys? I mean, at some point that they've all, you know, I know we talked, you guys talked about Land of the Dead was like probably the last decent film that came out of that that whole bunch of people. Well, what what happens to them that they get older and then they lose their way? And is there anybody even coming up now that's going to take their place? That's 
that's the scariest part to me is I because I don't see a lot of original horror movies getting made. I mean, we get you know you know more foreign stuff that's better than anything that we're making here in the states. Um, you know, I, I kind of felt like you know maybe House of the Devil, you know, was an, was an interesting horror film. Um, you know, let the right one in, but again, all that's overseas stuff. So. Where's the, you know, I mean, what's the most interesting thing we've got in Cloverfield or, you know, Hostel? I mean, where, where are those directors now? And, and what, have we reached a point where it's more about style than substance um, in all, in all aspects of filmmaking, but particularly in horror? And, you know, gratuitous gore is about the only thing that's left to do now that, you know, to be shocking. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll let I'll let you guys have your thoughts on that. If you ever do that roundtable on you know the '70s directors, I'd like to be a part of that. So, nice, nice. Because I've got some definite thoughts about why Toby Hooper may be the most important. But anyway, <laughs> I'll talk to you guys later. Great show, love you. Bye. Hey, uh, talk about bringing a knife to a gunfight, pal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to deny that Toby Hooper isn't important. I'm just going to yes. say that he's not very talented. I, I will say this. I think, in my opinion, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the best horror film um, of its time, yep. maybe of all time. Uh, but beyond that, let, let's take that out of the picture. I, don't, I wouldn't say, for me, it's not one of the top horror films of all time, but I would say it's one of the top ten films of the 70s. Uh, yeah, I, I fucking, I, I mean, it, it is just an incredible work, and it did change the landscape. But let's pretend he never made that film. Is he even in the conversation? But let's not apologize for the the mediocre stuff. Is there anything else he's made that's even come close to approaching that? Nothing. No. (laughs) I mean, there's some stuff of his he has that I kind of like, but uh, it's just guilty pleasure stuff. Well, that's the thing. If he had never made that, I mean, you know, we'd be talking about a real workman director that maybe some people kind of dug his stuff and thought it was halfway decent. Mm-hmm. He uh, he mentions uh, uh, Host of the Devil. Ty West is American, unless there's something I didn't know here. Uh, yes, he is. He's very much American. He is the most exciting, I think, young American director. But I do want to mention a few more that I, I have my eye on. Jim Mickle. Jim Mickle directed Mulberry Street Mike, which uh, I I highly encourage you to check out, and all of our listeners if you haven't. Low-budget horror done right. He has Stakeland coming out this year. It's in post-production. It's a vampire movie. I know, I know, vampires are done, (laughs) but he is a really interested director. Vampires, hey, well, vampires suck. (laughs) See what I I did there? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Furthermore, I think, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Either John or Eric Dowdle, who did uh, the Poughkeepsie tapes, while an uneven film, I think at times had a, a, a vibe to it. And he has a movie called uh, The Devil or the something. It, it looked kind of like a Hitchcocky kind of horror movie in an elevator. Um, the lights go out. It's got our boy Bokeem Woodbine coming back to the big screen. Nice. Um, so other than that, yeah, most of the strong horror directors are abroad. I have to outside say. of Naaman Landon Bronson, Bokeem was my third choice. It naturally was. <laughs> I really wish Bokeem Woodbine did more um, kind of like I, I wish he was around in the seventies and got to do some down and dirty revenge films, man. I mean, because he he's got the look, he, he can he can deliver like a heavy kind of line. Like yeah, he's pretty good. It's a shame. I love Bokeem Woodbine. Made some bad choices, but he's pretty good. But he's also got some comedic time, man. He was good in the big hit. There's a great little film that everyone shits on, man. I don't I don't have any comment. I've never seen the big hit. 
It's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Wahlberg gets it. Lou Diamond Phillips you, gets it. You it's might get. You movie. might catch more shit for loving the big hit than you would say Steven Spielberg sucks. <laughs> Maybe I, I'll stand by the big hit, man, and I'll stand by the fact that Spielberg ruined fucking film. <laughs> oh man! All right. Is that, uh, I, I, he uh, he said some other things. He said, uh, "Why do we think that that happens?" I, my my theory is very simple. I think all filmmakers are hungry and aggressive. And stuff in the beginning. I think a lot of filmmakers blow their wads early. Uh, I think that once they reach a certain amount of comfort in what they can do, I think they lose a little bit of their creativity. I'll be honest with you. I don't think I don't think very many filmmakers I can think of can has a very follow. They don't have a through line that uh, doesn't show flubs and, and missteps and things like that. But horror directors, uh, I don't know. I, I think they think they've done it before. It's like you know, and then they try something new and. Unfortunately, they're not good at it, and then they get stuck in this world of you know I got to keep going back. Like poor George Romero, I mean he he can't really escape zombies, which is a real shame. Uh, you know, because even that's not paying out, paying off for him anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I mean even his even his bread and butter is not you know it's not doing any good for him anymore. So it's really a shame, you know, that uh, these guys get stuck in these worlds and they get pigeonholed so badly. And I, I think they. I just think they're. I just think that's okay. That's I just think they run out of ideas. They run out of steam. But the, you know they get a paycheck. It is a job, ultimately. I mean, you know, ultimately they got to put food on their table too. I think ultimately it also comes down to the fact that they they have families, and I think they have less free time to devote to their projects because the the priority clearly becomes family. And I think also they become more entrenched in the studio system. And as we've seen, the studio wants safe pictures. So instead of the film that was made for four million that they could kind of do what they want, it's a thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, eighty, hundred dollar, hundred million dollar film. Mm-hmm. And they got to play it safer. Um, yeah, I mean, you're playing with somebody's money. I mean, it's not, it's, it's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it's a combination of I think family and other things take precedent over the time you would have spent crafting a project, and also studio. Uh, you're playing with the yeah, studio money, so yes. there you go. Uh, but that day, Mike, if we do that roundtable, trust me, buddy, we'll invite you on. Oh yeah. All right, uh, that's all of our feedback. Uh, we are now approaching the hour and 35-minute mark. Actually, we're over that. Earth, boy. <laughs> and feedback. It's going all the way across my screen like uh, a John Holmes load. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's up with me and load. I've been up for well past 24 hours now. So. Yeah, it's fucking, it's, talking about the it's loads the, a lot. It's the fucking hits what it is. <laughs> 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 Mr. Kemp's got me all fucked up. Yes. All right, so let's go over our pleasantries and stuff and uh, get going. And then we'll actually do some reviews today. <laughs> yes. Uh, again, Horror Hound Weekend, Cincinnati, November. We're going to be there. Everyone should be there. Emily started a Facebook group. You can all join. Uh, check it out. Uh, OMG-Entertainment.com. Good friend Martin, who we're paired up with. Mm-hmm. Promo code GGTMC10 um, for 10% off your orders over 40 I believe I got to check that. Um, apologies, Martin. He wanted Again, us to mention of- his Twitter too. Is uh, twitter.com backslash I think OMG Entertainment. I think. Yes. Oh, yeah, I think uh, and again, they got a lot of great, great stuff. I highly, highly recommend you to check them out. We wouldn't have aligned ourselves with them, with him, if uh, we didn't believe, of course, in what he did and what he had. Um, sister shows, of course, show show outside the cinema. Uh, who sadly I didn't get in my Serbian film fucking voicemail. Now that I think about it, fuck. Uh, CD, who has been uh, I got in. A, I got in an email to them by the way because I, I didn't have time to a voicemail because I was rocking a baby and I wasn't about to talk. 
about the stuff I was going to have to talk about with the baby humors. I just didn't no, want to no. do it. I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Uh, Family Movie Night, of course, they put out a great episode of their show with the Cloak and Dagger. So you can actually see from a children of this day and age how they felt about the Dabney, uh, etc. Uh, movie Meltdown, Chinstroker versus Punter, uh, all of our friends over at Pop Syndicate, check out Terry and the Paleo Cinema Podcast, Cinecultania, Cinerama with Sir Ian Loring, Action Attraction with the Sonicar, Hairy Chest Hair, uh, the, the Hairy Chested Metal One, yes, um, Better in the Dark with our friends in Brooklyn, V Cinema with, uh, of course, John and uh, Josh, uh, let me let me say some one step correction. It's twitter.com backslash omg web store. That's yeah, I'm writing that down. Yes, in with my stylo, which is French for pen. Um, uh, destroy the brain. Girls on film radio. I just sent them a list of about twenty films. I'd love to hear them cover. Yeah, I saw that. Um, so a few we've covered just to kind of get the ladies' opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to cover cruising, man. Um, they're doing how soon? <laughs> they're doing how soon next week? It's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Can't wait to hear that. Uh, the Gore Press Gorecast, the Glee Cast, which is, uh, I guess, on hiatus for now. The voice of our show, the Big Red Podcast. And, of course, Mr. Ensley and Mr. Hands, the podcast that dreaded sundown. Their Romero episode they just did was good. It was very good. Um, other friends, of course, Paracinema.net for Paracinema Magazine. NightmareTheater.blip.tv is Mike and John's other project, HorrorCommentary.com. Um, blogs, we have Pickle Loaf, uh, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Rach on Film, Lightning Bugs Lair, Naked Eskimo, This Is Quiet Cool, Heaven's Trash. Um, I'm going to stop mentioning Uncool Cat for now, Chris, only because I noticed you haven't done anything since March. So... <laughs> you update that. Hit, hit us up with an email, buddy, because you know I got to shave any seconds I can off the show here. Uh, Big Stuck Loser, Death Rattle Thirteen, uh, Sergio Leone and the Infield Fly Rule, and of course check out Funky Sixteen Corners at LunarPages.net. Yeah, for the, uh, for the Carbo Freeze. For the Carbo Freeze, <laughs> it sounds like a, a weight loss drink, actually. Yes. Um, uh, Cinema de Bazaar. Where you can find next week's pick from me, of course, uh, Podcast Alley, iTunes, Reviews, Facebook, join the group, you Here, can see the picture. Here's a big one. Uh, we could really, really, really use some donations because uh, right now we don't have enough money to pay for next month's uh, thing, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to put my own funds in there. As will I. Yeah. Remind me, Sammy, so I can put in my half. So we'll donate this to our own show. But please, you guys, yes. anybody that can help. And I'm not talking about you guys that have already donated. I'm very thankful for that. I'm just talking about anybody that can help toss a little bit of change here. Guys, I've gotten donations as low as 50 cents. I'll take them. Yeah, we'll take them all, man. So uh, anything you guys can throw away, I'd appreciate it. It'd be great. Uh, email, of course. Are you playing this? this the, I always ask this. The Alyssa outro or no? Uh, yes, I am. Today. Okay, so never mind that. My pick for next week is, I promise, I'd be getting into probably a, at least a month of Cinema de Bazaar, if not more. Nice. Um, and it's going to be a film. Do you know what you're picking yet? I do. I do. We've already talked about it, and I've actually said it on the Twitter and just about everywhere else. So This is going to be a fucking insane episode then. <laughs> yes. um, because my film is from France. Yours is from England. Mine stars Klaus Kinski. Oh, nice. And it is a film called Zoo Zero. It is about uh, Kinski plays the uh, the uh, manager of a burlesque that uh, it's a zoo 
that at night turns into a burlesque where the animals transform into people. So, well, of course it does. You know, that, that makes total sense. I'm totally Absolutely. down for that. I've never seen this film. I've been dying to see it ever since you put it on the roadmap. Me too. It might be a disaster. Who knows? But it sounded awesome enough to both of us that uh, we're going to check it out. And what is your pick, my friend? And my pick is Ken Russell's The Devils. This is kind of inspired by uh, Rupert's interview, but also because I meant to put this on the roadmap forever ago and for ages ago. And I've been wanting to do some Ken Russell on the show and stuff. And Rupert's interview is just a nice reminder. So uh, that's what I'm going to pick. So. Sounds like fun. The Devils and Zoo Zero. So we got the madman behind the camera. Oh, actually, we got two madmen. We got Oliver Reed and Klaus Kinsey on the same show. Oh, man. That, that's, <laughs> we're going to get punched out by the ghosts, man. Yes. <laughs> All right. So that is our program. I'm going to play the outro. We're going to see you guys next week, and we hope you enjoyed. So adios. Adios. Let's hope the music plays correctly. There we go. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207 And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com Thank you.